0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, September twenty eight. eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is the number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. The, the debate yesterday evening, the Republican presidential debate, not including Donald Trump, was exactly what we needed to demonstrate why I feel talk radio doesn't need to fall in that trap 24-7. It was not a debate. I mean, I watched about as much as I could. How much? <laughs> Uh, An hour, 45 um, minutes-ish. It's candidates competing press conferences. And these prepared punchlines, terribly, terribly, terribly moderated by the Fox Business um, team. They were just in over their heads. And it's kind of the train wreck that politics has turned into. Um, There is no substance there. Um, A little bit of irony. You ready? It's in the Reagan Library. What was Reagan's 11th commandment? thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. That's all they did was speak ill of another Republican, one who's not there, and the line of the night that fell. Well, I mean, any time Pence tries a line, it falters because he's just that guy. Um, but, but Christie calling Donald Trump Donald Duck because he's ducking the debate, um, said he had the guts to take on Trump. I think he put an S in there that was not quite necessary. <laughs> I mean, he obviously has the gut to take on Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm not sure he has the guts um, to take on Donald Trump. But I don't want to say much ado about nothing, and we'll try to evaluate it as um, as the show progresses. Um, Drew McKissick could not be with us this morning. Uh, he was in Simi Valley, California, as a official representative of the RNC. Um oh, he was. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, Anyway, we're going to try to reach out to Kahaley, see if we can get Robert to come on today or tomorrow. No need in texting Robert Kahaley at 605. I can assure you. Of that, um, it'll be it'll say um, notification delivered silently. <laughs> At some point in time, uh, the political consultants and rock stars wake up. I, I don't know exactly yeah, what time how does that work. Uh, that is, but sometime in the mid morning, uh, Robert's a little different than most. He will get up and uh, and walk his dog. <laughs> sometime mid morning. Uh, but yeah, political consultants live a little bit like uh, like rock stars. Speaking of rock stars, I don't
1: know. I, I, so, What's up with Springsteen? Yeah, I saw that news story yesterday, and I forwarded you the, the link. What's going because on Because I knew there? You'd, you'd want to know. He canceled well, the rest of his tour. It's
0: on the heels of. Through
1: the end of the year, after canceling the shows in September. But Buffett did something eerily similar. Well, yeah. I mean. I mean, Buffett's 76. Bruce is
0: 74. Buffett canceled several shows and then had an announcement that they were going to cancel even more shows. And then we find out he's been deathly ill. Uh, I'm not connecting the dots. I'm not saying that, but as a as a Buffett fan, a Springsteen fan, um, I don't want to say they're in the dead winter of life, but they're in the winter of life, right? I mean, if the average life expectancy in America is 80, and Buffett died at 76, Bruce is 74. You got to believe they're in another 50 years ahead of them, mm-hmm. right? Or another 20 years ahead. Right? Um, it just makes me a little nervous when you see these concerts being canceled, and it seemed that it was a one here and a one there. Bruce had to go to the hospital to get IVs or fluids or, or whatever. I mean, you know, but all of a sudden now, there's been a series of concerts canceled, and he's announced formally that they're not going to tour anymore this year. He's got to get well. But what does that mean? He deserves his privacy, and I'm certainly not prying into that, that privacy. Well, for the first
1: time, they announced, you know, start, part of what he's dealing with, some sort which of is peptic ulcer. Yeah, ulcer, ulcer, yeah whatever that, I mean, I read the Mayo
0: family, I mean, it's some sort of um, infection in the intestines, be careful. I mean, you, right. you, do you think what? I mean, I just hear infection in the intestines, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Be careful with that because yeah. um, that could Agreed. lead to some pretty serious complications so. if you aren't careful. And I think we would agree the older you get, the more threatening those complications could potentially uh, become. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Got a little news on college football, but I'm going to hold it until tomorrow. Jason Priester. Um, we're such stewards of this responsibility. <laughs> I mean, we're such good souls and sincere, sincerely motivated people is what the three of us are. Oh yeah. We knew that we were giving the Gamecocks more than their fair share and giving the Tigers less representation than they deserve. So we reached out to a good Clemson friend who we got to know through a communique with a listener of ours. Uh, I said on the air one day, I just feel like we're leaving – we're not giving Clemson a fair shake. I can't. I don't know how to give Clemson a fair shake. I think my Gamecock brethren or brethren would kick me out of the club if I gave Clemson a fair shake. They don't deserve a fair shake. They're, they're the Antichrist. We know that uh, to be true. Oh, come on. But, but anyway, Jason, will be here tomorrow at 9.05, and we'll kind of
1: we'll chew the fat. Now, ultimately, you you realize that you know probably half of our audience – are not Gamecock fans? They're Clemson I, fans, I, and we're would, leaving them out of this Yeah, these.
0: and I, I would imagine we're I mean, just you, all Gamecock
1: homers here. You,
0: you and I talk about the lights in two thousand one, yeah. sandstorm. And right. I got to believe Clemson fans. Who gives a rip? Right, exactly. You know about what's happening at Williams Bryce? <laughs> what about Death Valley? I mean, is this are you guys in the in the, uh, in the fairness business or not? And um, so we reached out to Jason. He agreed to come on Friday mornings, and um, he'll be here tomorrow. I'm hearing some scuttlebutt about conference alignment and affiliation, and um. I think it's going to happen sooner than later. Now, what happens, I don't know, but something is about to happen with Clemson and their conference affiliation. I think I know. I mean, I think there will be a um, kind of the uh, the end of the ACC as we know it, and Clemson will bolt off in another um, direction. I will say this real quickly, Rev. I told you during the break, I think the Big Ten's outmaneuvering the SEC. I mean, I, I really believe that. I think the Big Ten – I think the SEC puts a lot of stock and it just means more. Well, it does in the South, but the Big Ten's putting together a national footprint. I mean, they're putting together, you know, a coastal, really a national conference when you start thinking about it. And um, could that include Clemson? I don't know. Don't have any idea. I'm not in the room where those decisions get made, believe it or not. But I do know the SEC has added two big brands in Texas and Oklahoma. But the Big Ten has added huge television markets, the L.A. TV markets, Syracuse, and New York. Uh, I mean, it, it's from sea to shining sea is what the Big Ten. You can say, yeah, but that's expensive to travel. It would be. I mean, that would suck. You know, the Clemson girls volleyball team. Well, let me be back. The Clemson women's volleyball team travels to Stanford for a Wednesday night game. Um, you know, that that sucks. Or the you know, the Clemson uh, lacrosse team travels to Madison I will say this: If Clemson ends up in the Big Ten, you better buy you some winter clothes, because
1: <laughs> you'll be yeah. national footprint. Uh,
0: yeah, there. A, a November hey. game in Madison, Wisconsin, yep. or, or playing Northwestern or someone like that, uh, Indiana. I mean, that they, it would be an interesting. Uh, but I, I just think that the uh, the Big Ten sees the writing on the wall that it's going to be minor league football, and the uh, the geographic footprint really doesn't matter. As much as the TV deal and streaming and all these other um, sorts of things, we'll see how that plays out. But, um, but I think Clemson is about ready to
1: bolt from uh, from the ACC. Let's go to the phone. Someone's mm-hmm. there. Okay, here's Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning. Yesterday, I didn't get to listen to much of your show, but you were you were referencing
2: Alzheimer's, and you talked about. A little bit of humor in it, and and I know you wouldn't be disrespectful. I, I I I I know you wouldn't, but you're right about
0: that, and I hope you didn't get any backlash from those comments. uh
2: but The only they, they, well, I mean, yeah.
0: I'll say this, Booger. I'll clean it up the best I know how. My wife's grandfather died of Alzheimer's. He was in good uh-huh. and decent and and, and mild mannered a man as you'd ever meet until he got Alzheimer's, and then he would say things out of the blue at times that you couldn't help but chuckle at. I mean, it was not him. I mean, it, it was it was obviously not who he who he was. But but you couldn't. I mean, I, I would I would catch myself having to walk out of the room like, wow, okay, he just said that, really. Um, and I know he wasn't in his right mind, as you and I would say. But but I mean, that that that's the part about it I found a bit about humor, a, a man that had lived his life in such a dignified way, all of a sudden wasn't so dignified, and there was humor in that. Well, let me can I share a similar experience? I think this gal several years ago and when
2: we first started dating her mom who grew up with my family, she knew all my people. Well, she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And, and she would ask me, you know, questions that I knew I answered last time I was over at the house, you know, and, but, but it wasn't a lot. She knew who I was and all. Of, well, anyway, it got to the point where she would, every time I'd go by to see this young lady, not young lady, when we weren't young. Anyway, uh, she would ask me the exact same series of questions. Well, how's your mama? And I'd tell her, then she'd ask about my brother and all then she'd say, Now Harriet's your sister, right? I said, No, she's my aunt. And, you know, how's she doing? And it the same stuff over and, and if, if I had, had to wait on this lady to get dressed to go out to dinner or whatever, I'd have to listen to those same series of questions twice in one city. And it got frustrating and, and I was being patient. I finally told the, the the girl I was dating, I said, Listen, I said, if I've got to do this I gotta get a little something out of this. So I gotta have a little fun with it. So what I did was every question she asked me about my mom, my brother, and every you know what I what I was doing all that, I answered a hundred percent accurate. But she'd always get around to asking me about my Aunt Harriet. And at that point, I delved into my imagination. And my Aunt Harriet, during the six or eight months me and that lady we were dating, my Aunt Harriet worked for the CIA. She was a stunt woman in Hollywood. Uh, she was an underwater welder. She worked for NASA. Uh, she was a professional wrestler. I mean, she did, you name it, and she did it. And, and that was my release because in your situation, you know, you were hearing somebody talk and say things they never would say, you know, and it was just kind of humorous. And, and I get it. You, you know, sometimes you're like, what? No way he said that. And with me, it was kind of like you know I'm answering the same questions over and over. I'm gonna have fun with one of them, (laughs) and and I did. And 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 may she rest in peace. The lady did eventually pass away, and she never caught on. She was always amazed. Well, my word! I never thought Harriet would have would have grown up and done that. And then the next time she did something different. And I and I hope I ain't. I I hope I don't lose a, a jewel in my crown when I get to heaven over that. But. I just felt like I had to have some get something out of this, so I just had a little fun with 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 Harriet's multiple careers all over the 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 world and into space. So <laughs> anyway, so I had that. I thought I was gonna call yesterday, but I got tired of the work. Couldn't do it when,
0: sure. when you said that, and I, I, I hope you don't judge me harshly for doing that. Not 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 at all. I certainly understand. Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate it. A Little humor. Find a little humor to keep you sane at times. I mean, I think humor is obviously a big part of staying sane. Um, those who don't laugh at anything normally don't find a lot of joy in life. Um, those who laugh at everything um, probably aren't as serious as they should be in life, but humor's got to be a part of keeping your, uh, keeping your sanity. Speaking of yesterday's um, show, uh, and, and I mean this sincerely, I was as proud of what we did yesterday as I have been since we've been on the air. I know that there was an issue with Trump, and and you know, can he do business in New York or not? I know that there was a report that money had been wired directly to a home. You know that uh, Joe Biden considered his primary. I mean, I understand that, but but I gotta believe that if you have somewhat of an appetite for politics, you know that. I mean, it, you got Twitter, you got Facebook, we got social, all these uh, Instagram, TikTok, you got Fox News. I mean, there are there are a multitude of ways to find websites everywhere. Uh, I mean, there, there's a multitude of ways to find out, you know, s- some of the leading stories. And that is two leading stories. Can Trump do business in New York or not? There'll be an appeal. Some appellate judge will decide. I mean, I, for the life of me, I don't think he's got me. We kind of yawned past that story. Um, we know Joe Biden's a liar. Is he a crook? I mean, I think with the process of finding um, that out. But the the show yesterday took a uh, an, an intellectual seriousness that I think talk radio leaves on the table, and and I am extremely thankful to our callers um, who called in with you know um, just just uh, opinions. And hey, here's the way I see I see this thing. Now I wanna I wanna clearly state that I'm no expert. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, I got pinned down twice in the locker room at the gym yesterday, as if someone were going to make notes. What was it you said? About quantitative tightening and what was it you said about quantitative easing and what was it you said about mortgage-backed securities in the fed um i mean i'm very confident in my opinion but it's just that i mean it's not it, it, it's not some you know I, I i don't have the authority to say here's what's going to happen because i think we've made some grave errors i've made no bones about that i believe that the uh, the 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 financial and economic issue to come is going to be unlike any we have seen before in my lifetime. I didn't live through the Great Depression. I don't have any idea what, what a mayor—I've I mean, read about it. I've watched movies about it. I've tried to better understand it. Economists have tried to, you know, should we have done this and not done that? We should have done uh, more of this and less of that. I mean, th- th- those are academics who try to better understand. I mean, they're, they're scholarly— and in, in their interpretation of what the government did, what the private sector should have done, uh, more intervention, less intervention. Uh, I don't know. I don't have any idea what the right answer uh, to what should have happened after, you know, the, 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 the market began unraveling and the economy began unraveling. And I think we've got some safeguards in place now. We're not going to have soup kitchens, I don't think. We're not going to have 25 or 30% unemployment, I don't think. But, but there, there's, the, the fear I have is there is no precedent here. I mean, there's no way for an academic to say, well, compared to, because there's no comparison yeah, here.
1: The last time we pumped $6 trillion into the economy, here's what happened. Yeah, but th- th- it's, there's it's, none of that, right. I mean, it,
0: you know, in, 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 in two years' time. You know, and, and I, I, I'm concerned. I mean, I'm deeply bothered by, and I'll give an example. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to come back. I don't want to make this show yesterday's show, but I think yesterday's show was one of our best efforts. And and not only because we took on a serious subject and topic, but, but our callers rose to the occasion. I know you're out there. I mean, I know what talk listeners get labeled as, and I know that's just not the truth. I believe with every fiber of my being that the majority of people who wake up in the morning and turn on a talk radio show have a higher average IQ than those who turn on everything else. I believe that with every fiber of my body, and you proved it, Yesterday, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Back in a few, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number.
1: You know, not to do a rehash of yesterday's show and do but yesterday's we could. show over but again we could. today. We could, we could keep going on that conversation. But, but you mentioned a couple of people stopped you at the gym yesterday, so if you could kind of give us a cliff note, uh just kind of recap the takeaways from yesterday's show. Well, I mean, that, that's hard to do. Because it's got so many tentacles,
0: and it goes so many different places, <laughs> it and, and it freaks you out. Yeah. Every time you open a door, there's another freak out waiting uh, behind there. That's what there. I was going to say, freaks me out. Well, I mean, but, but you said, no, the bumper sticker is this. We live in an economy that is Fed-oriented, and the Fed doesn't play by the same rules that everybody else has to play by. That's my, uh, I mean, I, I don't find it concerning. It, it alarms me. I mean, as someone who believes that I've got you know 15 more years of income earning and and paying bills and keeping my head above water, I think there's going to be at least one major economic issue that comes all of our ways, and and it's a Fed-oriented economy. I mean, I, I could go into yesterday. I think one of the one of the things we said yesterday that most people don't realize the Fed owns 2.5. it's actually $2.6 trillion in mortgage-backed securities. Shelter and food. And I admitted yesterday, I didn't say housing, because we don't say food and housing, but say food and shelter. But I mean, those are essentials of life. And we've turned shelter into a speculative asset class. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples, real-world examples. So in my truck body building days, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Let's say we were a million-dollar-a-year company. And we go to a million a hundred thousand, a million two hundred thousand, a million seven hundred thousand, two million, we're still building the same number of truck beds. I mean the revenue number is inflated because of the cost of commodity. Steel is a commodity. That's a big part of doing business. When you're in the uh, in the metal fabricating business, guess what? Metal's a big deal. And when steel goes from 30 cent a hundred weight to forty cent a hundred weight, I didn't make any more money. I mean, my my annual revenues increased, and I can get a false sense of belief that. I'm growing the business. I'm really not growing the business. It took I mean, it took just as much steel to build those 100 beds this year as it did last year. Nothing changed about that, but the steel's 20 percent more expensive. So all of a sudden believe I'm growing the business by 20 percent. I'm not. I mean inflation is accounting for all of the growth in the business. I built 100 beds last year. I built 100 beds this year. I did a million dollars in business last year. I did 1.4 million this year. It's all inflation-related. So you're like, we're
1: killing it. Well, Look I mean, how we're sure, and, and
0: that's what's happened to the economy. We we have this false belief that the economy is growing. The only—and and it's government-induced growth. And, and you know, somebody called yesterday and talked about the, the, the misrepresenting of, of inflation. We, we've done that to, to our demise, to our detriment at one point in time. We're going to answer to that. We're going to answer—and and I asked a fundamental question yesterday, and I'll ask it again. What would the price—two questions— what would the price of a home be today? What would the interest rates be today if the federal government didn't own 25% of all mortgage-backed securities out there? I mean, that's, that's stimulating the housing market. But I mean, you can't argue. I mean, that, that is a stimulant to the, to the housing market. It distorts the, the marketplace. So we got about $11 trillion in mortgages in America. Uh, 2.6 trillion, roughly 25% of all mortgage debt in America is on the Fed's balance sheet. So if Dave Baker goes to the bank and the bank says, Baker, you got to give me 20% down and I can finance it for 30 years if your income is X. And all of a sudden the Fed says, I don't know, man, that makes it hard to buy a house. So the Fed says, um, Baker can come up with 2 or 3 or 4% down or even before 2008, nothing down. And we got teaser rates and subprime lending and all these other sorts of things. Government took the moral hazard out of the equation, and and I believe this. I think when Dave Baker or Josh, with a weird last name, when when <laughs> when, when they decide to invest in computer companies, they accept that they're part of a speculative class, right? I um, mean the dot com bubble, the uh you know the uh what whatever Enron. I mean the energy bubble. I mean when you take whatever amount of money you've got, you invest in that sector of the economy, you're speculating. But but food and, and, and shelter are or, or not to be treated as speculative classes and we've allowed that to happen and now housing is not something you live in but but rather an investment you make something you believe is going to be worth you know 20 uh, percent more tomorrow than it is today and it becomes irrational I mean i've told you about the stories in, uh, along the south carolina coast how many homes are being built today by hedge funds i mean it's it's a smart investment they think it's a smart investment they believe the return on that investment and i and i just think we've 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 distorted reality of the marketplace so so take that 2.5 actually 2.6 trillion in mortgage backed securities what is the price of a home if the government says we're not in the business of backstopping mortgages we're just not going to do that and and the bank said today baker hey man uh, you got 4% to put down but the government says they're not in the business anymore so you got to go get 16% more what happens to the price of homes I mean, there's going to be a major major correction Okay, put that on steroids. Let's think about what we've done for the last 30 years, 35 years. What would our economy look like today if we didn't have $33 trillion of federal debt? I mean, just, just, just stew on that for a second. We're talking about, you know, um, distorting the housing market. We're talking about treating shelter as a speculative class because the government, once again... Has intervened and provided cover for risky loans. It's on the taxpayers' back. They'll always pay. You know how they are. Give it to Mikey. Mikey'll eat anything. The taxpayers don't know. So, and nobody knows the Fed's balance sheet. But I mean, they've done a little quantitative tightening. They've taken about sixty billion dollars a month off the books since September of last year. So we're about a year into sixty. I mean, we're not quite a trillion dollars less than we were a year ago. Uh, they started at eighty-seven. It kind of shocked a little bit of the market, so they stopped doing that. They're at about 60 to $67 trillion. You can really get in the weeds looking at the Fed's balance sheet, and I've looked at it, tried to understand it, talked to people who know more about it uh, than I do. But how many Americans know that 25% of all mortgage-backed securities are owned by the taxpayer? I mean they're by that. I, I mean nobody knows that. And you think your house is going to be appreciating 15% a year, 20% a year. You've been convinced to this. Realtors say that. Home builders say that. Developers say that. This is the best investment you can make. The home is something to live in. It should be treated as something to live in. It's not a speculative class. But but the government manipulates the market in a way that convinces people, you know, I don't need one home, I need two. I mean, I don't want to get real. I don't want to get rich. I want to get real rich. I'll buy a third home. And I, and I believe one day that bubble burst. And it's not going to be subprime lending. It's not going to be people living in homes that couldn't afford homes. It's going to be a government-induced debt bubble. And I go back, what would a stake at your favorite steakhouse cost today if the government had zero debt on its balance sheet? I mean, that's economic normalcy. That, that's where the economy should be operating at, um, how could you live, Dave Baker, if, I mean, let's just hypothetically say you and your wife make hundred grand a year and somebody gives you an American Express black card and says, have at it, Rev. I mean, how would you live? I mean, the, the bill's not coming due. That's what we've done right. as a nation. Right. And I just don't think you can do it forever. I think there's going to be a day of reckoning. When is that? I don't know. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett don't know. I mean, they believe there's a day of reckoning. They don't know what that number is. I don't have any idea what that number is. But you either believe there's a day of reckoning or you're a modern monetary theorist. I mean, to me, there's no gray there. You either believe that one day we're going to answer to that financial irresponsibility or modern monetary theory is real. And it doesn't matter how much money we print. Well, if it doesn't matter how much money we print, why wouldn't the government just print money and give to people in the name of increasing demand? And making the economy stronger and better. I mean, why couldn't we grow the economy at six percent? I mean, if they if they print you an extra ten grand every year, print Josh an extra ten grand every year, just put it in the mail and say, have at it. Doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's our debt. Doesn't matter how much we owe.
1: Yeah, it'll stimulate
0: things. Sure. sure. I mean, that's right. I mean, we would all be walking, We would all be walking stimulus packages. But but you can't do that. So you either
1: believe that there's a day of reckoning, or. We're all modern monetary theorists. Well, you left choice number three. We could get responsible and make a plan to pay off the but debt. But could the economy, okay. That, slowly and we, methodically, no, you, right?
0: You, you said something. We're going to make that decision. I don't know when. I don't know what it looks like. But one of these days, we're going to make a decision. We're going to be forced to make a decision. It's not going to be on our own volition. We're going to be forced to make a decision that we've got to more live within our means. What happens to the economy? What sort of shock? does the economy deal with when a trillion dollars a year, every year, is extracted from our GDP? That's what freaks me out. I mean, the, 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 the shelter as a speculative asset class is a part of it. I mean, that's $2.5 trillion, $2.6 trillion of an $11 trillion marketplace. I mean, that's, that's a big number. That's a scary number. But that's central to housing. What happens to the economy in general? When somebody somewhere says, hey, we're taking a trillion dollars out of this bad boy, and we're doing it every single year. That is going to be a shock unlike any economy in the history of mankind has ever had to
1: endure. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. You're on.
3: Hey. Hey, good morning. Yeah, You're off to a start again. I'm sorry I missed so much of your show yesterday, but what I heard was just absolutely enlightening. I think you got uh, the Glenn Beck and Lightning Award there uh, (laughs) as far as covering that. Uh, But uh, going back to that uh, debate last night, I could not watch the whole thing to tell you the truth. And and the moderating for such experienced uh, uh, personalities, it was just absolutely horrible, horrible. I think they would have done much better if they'd had like Gutfeld and Tyrus moderate the debate. Uh, something like that. And maybe every, they have a rule. They all have to come out there wearing three articles of clothing and, uh, they, uh, and, uh, and every time they say something bad about, uh, Trump, they have to remove an article of clothing. And then when they run out of clothing, they remove themselves from from the, from the stage. (laughs) That would have worked a lot better. I think, of course it could have gotten real ugly with, uh, uh, Oh, uh, our New Jersey uh, fat boy over there. I tell you, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> real bad. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so, I'm convinced. But, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. I'm convinced that Christie is auditioning. Last night would have been his biggest auditioning interview for a board seat at Raytheon or chairman of one of the think tanks in, in, uh, in D.C., one of the military industrial think tanks. I mean, to me, that's what Christie's out for. Chris Christie's not a likable guy. Um, he had his day in the sun. You know, he was a Republican governor from New Jersey, uh, a purple, excuse me, a blue state. That's kind of his claim to fame. He tried to sell that as a national brand. I mean, I can win in places that Republicans can't win. I think the longer you, you look at Christie, the more you get to know Christie, the less you like him. I mean, I think he's one of these guys that grates on you after a period of time. Uh, it's obvious to me what he's is into somebody is. Probably eventually going to reward Chris Christie for being the guy that goes after after Donald Trump. I mean, the National Review said he had the, the best performance of anybody you would expect them. But I mean, the National Review fans the flames of intervention and globalism, um, and they're not accepting this reset or realignment in the Republican Party. Um, he's at 3.7% nationally. Uh, you know, he's at about uh, 11 or 12% New Hampshire. I mean, he's a Northeasterner. I guess he gets some benefit of the doubt from being in that part of the country. But I um, mean, I think Trump wins again. I mean, I think the debate was reduced to candidates competing press conferences. They had these prepared punchlines. Uh, it was terribly, 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 terribly moderated. I mean, just awful moderating of the debate. Um, Fox is not a news organization any longer. I mean, Fox is a an entertainment complex. But I mean, it, it's, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, right of center conservative Americans need somewhere to go to find, you know, trustworthy and, and fair-minded reporting. I guess Fox is still the best show uh, or the best network to find that. But Fox News is, is anti-Trump, that they're anti-America first. Uh, it's not Roger Ailes' Fox News anymore. It's a, um, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's it's, it's Twitter on a television is kind of what <laughs> it's turned into. And, and I know we have different opinions here. The five to me is embarrassing. I mean I'm sorry. I mean I know we have a different opinion. Oh, I but, I've
1: always thought that show was entertaining.
0: Well, I mean it it's it, it's it's embarrassing. I mean it's uh the the shallowness of of the of the conversation just I mean I, I can't and I'm not I mean I, I don't want to profess to be some serious guy. And cuz cuz I think sometimes I can be as serious as I need to be, but when I t- turn on Fox News I want to watch news. I want to hear news. I, I, want to, I want somebody to enlighten me about something that has happened in the world today that I need to know about. Brett Baer does that. Nobody else on Fox News does. I mean, Brett Baird legitimately does the news. Uh, I think he may be as fair-minded as anybody in media today. And I think people on the left and the right probably respect him for trying to do, uh, you know, a decent job of covering uh, kind of fact-based news. But, but America just don't have much of an appetite for that we would rather be entertained and the five is entertainment and Jesse Waters is entertainment and Laura Ingram is entertainment and Sean Hannity is entertainment. And if you like entertainment, have at it. I mean, you know that they're the entertainment business, but, but I like for somebody at some point in time to look me in the eye and tell me what the facts of this story. And, um, and you can't hardly, I mean, you certainly can't find it in the mainstream media. I mean, I've argued for 10 years that the mainstream media has turned into a propaganda arm for the American political left, um, but there is some news there. They present and propose things as if they're news. I mean, they're dishonest, and they're one-sided, and they're they're liberal in nature. But but it's uh, Fox is just uniquely different, and they're hemorrhaging viewers. Um, you know, the they they have this this misalignment. The majority of their audience are Republican voters majority of Republican voters want Donald Trump to be the nominee. And I, and I guess Paul Ryan has undue influence in the boardroom. And, and I think Tucker said it what a month ago that this is not Roger Ailes Fox news. I mean, this is a Fox news organization run by, you know, offended females. I mean, those are his words, not mine. And you know, it's just, it's a different animal now. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, to be honest with you, being entertained is probably a more lucrative model. <laughs> But but call yourself Fox Entertainment. Stop calling yourself Fox News. Run the run the banner Fox News when Brett Bear's on the air. Take it off when he's not. There you go. When Bear's show is on, they're legitimately doing news. When Bear's not on, they
1: ain't. Eight four three six six. You saying Fox and Friends is not news? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) it's cute. And and Rupert Murdoch just stepped down. Yeah. So I wonder where it goes from here a little further to the entertainment (laughs) side. Take a
0: break. Back in a few. You know, I think it was Buck Sexton who tweeted um, last night, one of the most appropriate questions to ask the candidates on the stage is why is everybody 40 points behind Donald Trump? (laughs) I mean, I I just think that speaks to the general nature of the election. Why is everybody on this stage? I mean, some of you folks are accomplished. Some not so much, but some of you folks are in your own different walks of life. Um highly considered and accomplished, why is everybody forty points behind um Donald Trump? Why have you not been able to to make a move and and I, and i just I, I just go back to this i I don't know what it is i mean I, I don't think Trump is a political savant by any stretch of the imagination, but for some reason, he understands this moment. He relates to this moment in In politics, when I read um and I tweeted or excuse me, I read Twitter last night as the debate in real time, the debate's on I'm I'm watching Twitter. Uh, some of these folks are follow. I mean, you you know who I mean, some are getting paid by DeSantis, some are getting paid by Christie, some are getting paid by Haley, some are getting paid by by Scott. And it's so it's so preconceived, it's so rehearsed, it's so uninspiring. It's so old fashioned politics. And I think Trump accepts and understands, and maybe he's the guy that did this to the, uh, to the system, but I think when you, I mean, the, the rehearsed punchlines, I mean, it's almost like DeSantis stood in front of a mirror for 30 minutes, and Nikki stood in front of a mirror, and Tim stood in front of a mirror. Okay, when I get the opportunity to say this, I got him. I got him. And the days gone by, that would have been, I guess, I mean, that, that would have been the way you win campaigns. And something fundamentalist happened in this realignment. People, for whatever reason, sense authenticity. And they reward authenticity. They will give you the benefit of the doubt if they're not sure you know what you're talking about, if they perceive you to be saying what you truly believe. I'm not saying that's a good thing or bad thing. But but I, I just think the electorate today, and I think Trump's the only guy that gets this. I mean, I think he's the only candidate that I've heard... I mean, Ramaswamy's like a um ah what what is he's like some AI creature. <laughs> he's and, almost too good. Well, I mean, it, it, it is. It's almost like is he real or is that artificially intel you know <laughs> artificially uh, intelligence induced? Um, the I mean, to, to me, Ramaswamy last night missed an opportunity. I mean, when Nikki said, "Every time I hear you talk, I feel dumber," Ramaswamy could have said, "You don't want to take an IQ test?" I mean, you know, because yeah. I think most people believe, in, in matters of raw intellect, Ramaswamy's smarter than Nikki Haley. Probably not as politically savvy, not, not as accomplished politically. I mean, Ramaswamy's never been elected office. That's probably his advantage in today's um, climate. But, but I, I just, it, it seems to me that the majority of candidates, um, you know, Donald Duck, and he waits on the applause. I mean this uh, is I can't
4: believe he said that. Well I, mean, this,
0: I, well, I mean, but but look where he comes from. He's a politician of days gone by. And politicians of days gone by would have got a kind of a rousing, wow, did you hear that? He got him, didn't he? And now I think the public looks like more silliness. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- more of the preconceived, pre-rehearsed, you know, um, punchline that falls flat. Um and and I mean, let's be honest, guys. Christie's physique. This does not help him much, right? I mean, it really and truly doesn't. And I'm convinced Christie's reward is not winning the presidential campaign. Christie's reward is being the guy that will aggressively go after Trump and one day be a board member at Raytheon or the chairman of a, or the president chief executive officer of some think tank in Washington, some pro military industrial complex think tank in Washington. In other words, somebody went to Christie last year and said, hey, you probably don't have much of a chance to win But if you'll go after him every chance you get, we'll figure out a way to get you on a board somewhere. We'll figure out a way to get you in charge of a think tank somewhere. But it's just odd to me that that so many candidates still believe the old way is the best way to get elected, and and the old way is falling on deaf ears. Nobody's interested in those punchlines. Nobody's interested. I mean, I I wrote down this morning. To me, it was not a debate. It was candidates competing press conferences with prepared punchlines terribly moderated. I mean, that's my takeaway. And I watched about all I could. I mean, I watched a little better than an hour, and then I just, I mean, there's nothing there for me to to report on. I mean, it's just crosstalk. It's the the once again, the prepared punchline. It's um it's it's kind of um DeSantis trying to have his own press conference simultaneously with Nikki trying to have her own press conference. And I get that. You're cutting through the clutter. But the only interesting question that could have been answered last night was Every candidate gets two minutes to explain why you believe you're 40-some-odd points behind Donald Trump. I mean, that, that's an interesting question, and they would have had to think about it a little bit, and you can't turn that in, uh, you know, government's too big, it spends too much money.
1: And they can't deny it.
0: Either. Sure, but I mean, there's no denying that. I mean, hold a sheet of paper in your hand. I mean, a good moderator, hey, I've got the latest, you know, RCP average. Donald Trump is 40 points ahead, 43 points ahead of his nearest rival. Can somebody on this stage tell me why? Eight four three
1: Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning.
5: You know, I, I just can't believe I used to fall for all this crap. But, you know, I be sitting there looking at the Republicans and the Democrats. But, you know, kid, you know Dickie Haley and Tim Scott, they could just easily been you. None of those people up there on that stage, at least I, I don't think any of them, or any smarter than I am, can do any better than you can do, Dave can do, Josh can do, and after your listeners can do. There's nothing special about these people. The only person that may be a little bit intimidating, and then you got to wonder if he's got any common sense, would be uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. But at the end of the day, they come across to me as a bunch of damn buffoons, just like I said. And Trump's, Trump's a nut, no doubt about it, but he'll at least put action to words. But here's, about, here's another thing that's getting me. Right now, we got the government shutdown coming down, and everybody acts like that's a bad thing. So here's my question to you. Um, do you think that the Republicans are ever planning, you know, they, they write up this thing,
0: Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Got to take a break. I, I'll, I'll We got John Decker calling in in just a couple of minutes. I want to be respectful of his time. I'll come back and um, and give some interesting, I think interesting, commentary to Breeze's points. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Thursday morning, great television. Senior National Editor, White House Correspondent John Decker is with us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey,
6: I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're having a good week so far. It's been a busy week. Right, in terms of news and probably what you've been talking about.
0: It has. We traffic in rumor. We we are not interested in news. We we traffic <laughs> yeah, there you go. In, in rumor except in during end, this uh, segment, uh, except during this segment, but we we become very professional out of respect to you <laughs> and uh and your willingness to come on, on this feeble attempt to ready well you. Now in, in all seriousness, John, I made a note this morning, a little irony in this. Um at the Reagan Library in Simi California Simi Valley, California, I thought of the eleventh commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. Apparently they don't remember Reagan saying that as um, as GOP candidates, but it is unusual, John, that one person is so far ahead of everybody else, and he's not there. I mean, it, it, it's almost like I'm a big Springsteen fan. It's almost like I'm going to see the E Street Band, but Bruce isn't going to isn't going to be there. Right. there there's something lacking. What is your take on that?
6: Well, that's right. You know, I think that's the reason why viewership uh, is down as it relates to these Republican presidential debates, because the front runner isn't there. Uh, The person who's leading by uh, 40 plus points in most national polls uh, has decided to skip these debates. And, you know, it's a competition, so to speak, for second place at this point. And no one, as far as I can tell, is really, you know, making a move to make it a one-on-one race against Donald Trump. Uh, And I don't think anything changed as a result of last night's debate either.
0: No, and and, and John, in fairness, I mean to me it turned into a uh, kind of a candidate's competing press conferences and and prepared punchlines. And I said this morning, and I think you'll agree, that the the Republican electorate, for whatever reason, are, are a little bit different today than they've historically been. There was a day. That the uh, the prepared punchline scored you some points, but but they just seem to yearn for authenticity. And, and whether you like right. Trump or not, they perceive him to be somewhat authentic. Is that a fair analysis?
6: Well, it's a fair analysis, absolutely. Remember back in 2016 when Donald Trump did take part in those Republican debates when there were you know a multitude of candidates competing for the Republican nomination. I don't think he prepared once for those debates. And I think he won every one of those debates. Uh, He dominated the field. He dominated that debate stage. And that's lacking uh, this time around. I would love to see that. uh, But he's made it pretty clear that the only debate that he's going to take part in is a presidential debate, uh, one-on-one him against the likely Democratic nominee, and that's Joe Biden.
0: Speaking of Joe Biden, there is an official hearing this morning of the impeachment Inquiry. There will be three witnesses, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that will be um, called to testify. What What do we know about this um, impeachment inquiry? Is this is this the official beginning of trying to get to the bottom of what Joe Biden didn't know or didn't know in relation to his son's foreign business dealings?
6: That's right. You know, there are three witnesses today. One witness uh, is a forensics expert, a forensics accountant. Another uh, expert on the panel is someone who served as Uh, the head lawyer at the Department of Justice on tax issues and the third person if you watch Fox News you know Jonathan Turley uh, and I know Jonathan Turley very well he's a good friend of mine he's the third witness uh, who will be on this panel and I think that to a certain extent expectations are built up a little too high for this first hearing is there going to be some sort of smoking gun at this first hearing even James Comer the chair of the House Oversight Committee has acknowledged it's going to be a lot of rehash. Uh, But, you know, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on this particular hearing because of the fact that it is the very first hearing of this impeachment inquiry. And we'll see where things go. It's a fishing expedition, but all investigations start out that way. And we'll see if Republicans can ultimately connect the dots. We do know that James Comer will soon subpoena business records, bank records, tax records of Hunter Biden, and we may even see a subpoena for Hunter Biden himself to appear before uh, a hearing of this House impeachment hearing.
0: John, the other big story out of Washington is the likelihood or not of a government shutdown. Uh, Some of the hardliners in the Freedom Caucus, some of the Republicans say if there's any funding, additional funding for Ukraine, it's a no vote, it's a no-go. Has anything changed about that?
6: No, we're, we're, we're two days away, uh, and I think we're headed towards a government shutdown. As you know, the Senate passed uh, a bipartisan bill, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, that would keep the government funded for uh, two months. And, uh, you know, when I say strong bipartisan vote, we're talking about 80 senators voting for that, Republicans, Democrats, went over to the House. And that bill was essentially dead on arrival because conservatives within Kevin McCarthy's conference said to him, you put that bill on the floor for an up or down vote, uh, we're going to withdraw our support for you as the House Speaker. So that's why I say that bill uh, is not going anywhere. So we are indeed headed towards a government shutdown midnight uh, on Saturday deadline. Uh, And, you know, things change. I mean, I think that initially uh, you, you may see Republicans get blamed for the government shutdown, but things change. You know, uh, Joe Biden needs to get involved in this process as well. It can't just be, you know, leaving everything up to the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue to resolve this.
0: John, I don't believe that Donald Trump is 10 points ahead by any stretch. The ABC News Washington Post poll had Trump up 10. I mean, that's an outlier as far as right. I'm concerned. You're sure. inside the belly of the beast. You're inside the beltway. You hear some of the scuttlebutt that we don't hear. But but I am sure. reading more frequently Democrat leaders questioning whether he's the best choice to run in 24 or not. Is that fair to say?
6: Uh, I haven't heard it. Uh, You know, they've circled the wagon around Joe Biden. uh, And, you know, he's their guy. You know, he's the person who's going to be the nominee unless Joe Biden uh, decides he's not going to be the nominee. And, you know, given the fact that he uh, was on the road this week, did a lot of fundraisers while he was out west. Uh, out in uh, California, also fundraisers in Arizona. Uh, I I think that what he's focused on is indeed winning uh, his reelection race. Uh, He's not going to drop out to me as things stand today. uh, Here we are approaching October. It's going to be a rematch of what we saw in 2020, Trump versus Biden. Things can change. Uh, You know, we don't know, uh, you know, health of individuals. We don't know legal issues of individuals. But as things stand today, it's Trump versus Biden once again. Well,
0: explain. John, thank you for your time, sir. Have a great day and great weekend.
6: You too, Ken. Thanks for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Thank Bye. you.
0: John Decker, great television, senior national editor, White House
1: correspondent, giving us the skinny from inside <laughs> uh, the Beltway. A very coy answer there by John. Uh, you never know what candidates may have legal issues yeah. or health issues. Well, I mean, we've got we've got – you know, one with legal issues. We know Trump has legal
0: issues. I mean, there will be trials to get to the bottom of what he did or didn't do, knew, didn't know. Um, And there will be whatever consequences that come along with our uh, judicial system. And then you've got Biden, you've got an impeachment inquiry that begins um, today. You've got three witnesses that'll take the stand. Um, They'll begin building a case about whether or not to impeach. Um, I've always been, I think, man enough to admit when I was wrong. And, And I think I'm disagreeing with myself uh, we did a podcast, and I think it'll be published tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, about the impeachment of Joe Biden. Um, you could run the risk of turning him into a sympathetic figure, but but the most recent revelation of the wiring of money to a resident, and the money doesn't show up in a UPS envelope or a FedEx package. I mean, it's, it's wired money, but I guess the bank or lending institution that executes the transaction asks for a, a fiscal address and Hunter Biden gave the address, the permanent residence of his father. Um, but it's not like, you know, um, the the UPS driver rings the bell and and drops the box at the front door. I don't think that's the way they did it. I wouldn't imagine uh, that's the way they did it. But it does, I mean, it proves Biden's a liar. Now, is he a crook? I don't know. Don't have any idea. I think he is. I mean, I've been consistent in believing. Uh, nobody's been able to explain how Joe Biden got wealthy. I mean, I, you know, he's not a business guy. He's not an accomplished uh, you know, academic. I mean, they, what, what he's been a career politician, and we know what his salary is. And you know, I saw yesterday a Wall Street Journal article that says they can track. They believe up to fifty million dollars making its way to the Biden coffers. Fifty million. Remember, we talked about six or eight million, mm-hmm. and then it turned into twenty or twenty-five million. And now they're arguing fifty million dollars
1: from where? For from
0: what? some, from you know, some of these yeah. Chinese, Ukrainian, uh, Romanian, some of these foreign agents, and um, and what are they paying for? What are they getting in return? Where did the money go? Did the money get dispersed to other shell companies? Did Biden end up? Did Joe Biden, President Biden, end up with any of that money or not? I mean, that's what I guess the impeachment inquiry will be about: subpoenaing bank records and wire transfers and and I guess a paper trail. You got a forensic accountant that will appear today. And I don't know how much work she's done. I don't know what they've provided um, him. I'm sorry, him. I don't know what they provided him with. I think his name is um, Bruce Dubinsky. He's the forensic accounting that will appear today uh, in front of the oversight or the impeachment inquiry um, committee. Uh, so we shall see. We'll see where that where that leads. But, but the latest revelation, I mean, it proves that Biden's a liar. In, in 2020, Joe Biden said that not only did he know nothing about his son's business, but his son has never received money from China. I mean, that's, on its, I mean, that's just a lie. Now, was he intentionally misleading, or, or did he just not know any better? With Biden, you always wonder. You know, was he intentionally misleading, or did he just not know any any better? Um, I mean, I, I think you would agree with me. He knows more than he's um, let on, but you've got to connect. You've got to find some... Uh, I don't know a bank record or a transfer or some paper trail that shows Joe Biden personally gained from Hunter Biden's escapades. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's nasty at its surface nail. I mean, it's nasty to know that that a uh, you know the the kid of a president's running around uh, with the illusion of influence. Let's take Biden at his word and say this: the illusion of influence. I mean, that cheapens the body politic. It happens a lot. There's no doubt about it. Family members of prominent politicians have always gotten more than their fair share of the of the pie. But Joe Biden has been consistent in denying any culpability at all in regards to what his son did and and you know what what his son got paid for. Well, I mean, to begin with, he said his son didn't get paid. And now he did get paid, but I didn't know anything about it. And now he didn't get paid. I, I knew something about it, but I didn't participate in it. So, so once again, moving the goalpost, um, not inch by inch, they move the damn goalpost 10 yards (laughs) at a time. I mean, it's not like inching along here (laughs) and inching along there. Um, mean the black lesbian has changed her story monumentally in, in regards to what she knew or or didn't know. Now I want to go to something breeze touched on because breeze said with frustration in his voice, they're not going to do anything, but they talk a big game. They're not going to do anything. Uh, Decker said we're going to have a government shutdown. And I want you to go back to remember when McCarthy made the concessions to get the votes to become speaker. Part of the concessions were what? More hardliners on the rules committee. That's the ace in the hole. That's what makes this fundamentally different. Remember how many votes we had to get McCarthy to be speaker. Some of the Freedom Caucus and hardliners held out in the House. I mean, Washington doesn't like those folks, but I think they represent a lot of the, the Republican base. But they held out. Ralph Norman came on our show a couple of times and said he was a no vote until they had three members of their caucus on the rules committee. And that's a big deal, but I mean, that's a huge deal. And and now having that influence on the rules committee allows the House to say dead on arrival to some of those bills that include um, funding for Ukraine. I was thinking about this uh, last night a little bit when they're talking about Ukraine and what to do, what not um, to do. I think J.D. Vance and um, some of the uh, uh, McCarthy, they probably have some private conversations. The Senate does a better job. Let's give the Senate its due. I mean, it's it's the more cerebral body, uh, you know, But but they've done a decent enough job of keeping their business off the street. But J.D. Vance has spoken loudly and proudly recently about his reluctance to support any bill that includes funding for Ukraine without some degree of accountability. If we're going to send, you know, $100 million to Ukraine, how do we know what they're doing with the money? You see, see most taxpayers in America don't know that a lot of the money we're spending in Ukraine today are not to buy missiles and, and, and weaponry and defend against Russia. I mean, that we're paying first responders. We're, we're, we're paying farmers to farm. I mean, imagine that if you're an American farmer, I mean, may- maybe you feel differently than I do, but but if you're an American farmer and and you've k- kind of um worked hand in hand with the- with the farm bill, there's some things about the farm bill I like, some things I don't like. Um, you know, the the essential of food, we talk about food and shelter. I mean, food being an essential, I, I can go along at times with some of these programs that the government institutes that allows farmers to have Uh, uh, you know, a little more security than a lot of other businesses would have. Uh, I think food, once again, is an essential. I'm not saying the government should or should not do X, Y, or Z, but, but I can, I'm not sympathetic to that, but I understand it. I understand how government gets in bed with farmers because farmers provide the food that is essential to our existence. I understand that. But I wonder how many farmers, how many Americans would be supportive of the federal government subsidizing the Ukrainian farmers to make sure they've got the means to feed their people, to provide the nutrients and necessary, you know, um, food for, for people in, in Ukraine. Is that the role of government? Is that the, I mean, you can argue the role of government is not to get involved in the farming business in, in Illinois, Iowa, you know, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, much less in Kiev and in Ukraine. But a lot of the money we're spending in Ukraine today is not Defending militarily against Vladimir Putin, but rather paying first responders their full salaries, um, some of the housing allowances. I mean, the government's gotten real deep in the, in the business of how the Ukrainian economy is functioning and operating. And I, I just, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you legitimize that. I mean, if we're going to defend Ukraine because we want to weaken Russia, then tell the American people. We want to defend Ukraine because we believe it's in our long-term geopolitical interest to weaken Russia. I mean, the American people can decide whether I'm for or against that. But, but arguing that we're doing this because we don't want Putin putting the band back together, and the band being the former Soviet Union, and that being, you know, leading to an eventual another episode of the Cold War and military advancements and nuclear armaments and all these others that go along— But that's not what a lot of the money is doing. A lot of the money is going to fund some of the civic infrastructure of Ukraine. And I just don't know that the American taxpayer needs to be footing the bill for how Ukraine pays its first responders and helps its farmers grow crops. That's just not in the best interest. Is that the safety and security?
1: And if that was widely known, there might be some more questions. Well, asked. I mean,
0: it, it's not; it, it's obviously not widely known because the majority of media are, you know, globalist and interventionist, and I, I don't want to say neocons. I think that's been a, a word reserved for the, con, the conservative American imperialist. But but you know, the um, the mindset of the media has been, you know, Washington establishment oriented, and the orientation of the establishment is, you know, we we're, we're 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 the empire. And we've got to decide how other people conduct their business. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I got my fix yesterday talking about a Fed-oriented economy. That's when I really, I mean, my juices get flowing. <laughs> now we're back to the grind of talking politics, debates, uh, impeachment inquiries, Republican nominees, um, Democrat nominees. I made notes this morning. Uh, I watched about and I, I'm just in, in full confidence, Um, the candidates competing press conferences don't interest me. I but mean, they just don't. I just don't find it interesting. I don't find it stimulating. I don't find it revealing. I don't find it good for the process of deciding who needs to be president. I uh, prepared punch lines. I, I accept that as part of the game. Um, but you need to be good at it. You need to be good at it. and And when a guy when a when a four hundred pound man says Donald Duck, it just doesn't. It doesn't come off. And when a fuddy-duddy says, you know, the punchline, and I'm talking about um, Mike Pence, it just doesn't come off. There's gotta be some personality and flair and flavor. Um, Combine the candidates competing press conferences, the prepared punchlines with a terrible job of moderating. And you just had um, not such a good night for um, candidates trying to catch Donald Trump, who is 40 some odd points ahead. And you would expect me to use a Springsteen analogy. I use it every chance I get. It's like the East Street Band showed up
1: and where's Bruce? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And you mentioned that if you had been moderating or helping decide the questions, you would have asked the question, why do you think, to, 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 I guess the, the all the candidates that were on stage, why do you think that Donald Trump is 40 points above all of you? Um, why do you think Donald Trump is 40 points above all of you? Well,
0: to me, that would have been an interesting question. You know, of all the candidates on the stage— that nobody's within 40 points of the guy who's not here. Why? Help me understand. I mean, help America understand why is the guy that, that people find so revolting, and 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 the majority of Americans don't have a favorable opinion of Trump. Why is he 40 points ahead uh, with, with half the American people? And I'm talking about half voting Democrat primaries, half, and that's not half. I mean, it's probably 30, 30, and 40. Uh the 40% of people that call themselves independents. You just kind of like calling yourself an independent. I mean, you have a political bias and a political um, leaning about you. But, no, I mean, I think the answer is is in the, the the way the candidates behaved at the debate. These candidates are not sure of themselves. They're not sure of, of the tactic or strategy. And uh, Robert Cahaley has said this on our airways time and time again. And Robert will be with us at 930 this morning. Josh did a good job of running um, rock star consultant slash pollster slash strategist Robert Cahalia of Trafalgar, and he's agreed to come on at about 9.30, so hang in there with us. Got to put up with me for another hour and 20 minutes, and then we'll get a real expert to talk about the debate and what, where do we go from here. But no, I, I just believe that the American—Bree said it. I'm embarrassed that I believed them for as long as I did. I'm embarrassed I laughed at the punchlines, and, 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 I, and I bought into this, this pre, preconceived press conference for as long as I did, and I'm not doing it anymore. I think the, the Republican primary voter, in some weird way, Josh, I'm going to get your take on this because you're a younger buck. I think that you don't have the history of doing what you're told for as long as we have. But I think there's a defiance in the Republican voters' psyche today. And if you come off as consultant-driven, poll-driven, rehearsed, they're going to punish you. I mean, I, once again, I, I, think, I think what um, John Decker said a few minutes ago, Trump shows up at the debate, and you wonder whether he read the book or not. I mean, you wonder whether he studied <laughs> for the test or not. Right. But, damn, he wins the debate. And I think he wins the debate because the electorate today were tired of being lied to, and, and they're defying that, that. There's a defiance now. I'm voting for the. I don't believe this guy really knows what he's talking about. But he doesn't sound like everybody else. And he did run a multi-billion dollar business, so it can't be stupid. I mean, he's got to know how the world works. Now, if Trump behaved as Trump behaves and didn't have the legitimacy of being a business guy, I, I, I I I don't know how many people would go there. This guy does things, he does everything differently than people have historically done things, and he's got no history of being successful at anything. I think the brand Trump, I think the marketing Trump has done to make his brand so noted and noteworthy paid great dividends on the campaign trail because the next thing you know, you're talking about successes and failures. He succeeded here. He failed there. Another success here, another failure there. And I think normal people understand that business is risky. And, and it's not always a slam dunk. It's not always a layup. At times you make it, at times you don't. You try to knock the dust off and, and go to the next foray. But, but, but Trump did not ever, ever, ever let consultants tell him what to do. He never, ever, ever let think tanks. I mean, he did let, I mean, the, the one thing you can connect Trump with and what I'll call traditional politics is the, the, um, the, the group was the federalist, uh, the group that get, furnished him with a list of judges to put on the bench. If a Supreme court nominee, uh, became a, so the federal society, that's who it is. They, they got kind of a, uh, you know, a pre-approved, um, list of judges, but, but, Josh, am I on to something there? I mean, you, you don't have a long history of voting in Republican primaries. Right. But, but Republican primaries were hardly ever defiant. They always kind of sort of did what they were told.
4: Well, and I was going to say, I feel bad for you guys. You guys are in your 50s. And if that kind of stuff, the stuff we saw last night, is what you've been dealing with for all that time, man, I feel bad for y'all. <laughs> well, I mean, and you <laughs> should. Yeah. And,
0: and we should be ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, that we drink the Kool Aid for a line. When Mike Pence said, Well, I'll tell you the bigot line, he shouldn't be on a bigot line, he should be on an unemployment line.
7: Oh yeah.
0: And you're waiting on uh-huh. the drum roll. You know, it's like, really? I mean, is this where but but and but build that
1: work broker?
4: Yeah. I'm like, dude, please
0: But but Donald Duck.
4: <laughs> right.
0: But but I'm telling you, but we somebody, only, but see
1: we're only aware of this because there's a contrast now. Bingo. Exactly. Bingo. Bingo. There's an alternative.
0: There's somebody who doesn't do it that way now. And, and, but, but imagine having to recreate yourself. The ones that oppose Trump the most are those who ran the party and got wealthy by making sure, you know, that's the way the building was built. That's the way the machine was, was built, designed to run, and that's how it runs. So all of a sudden, when Mike Pence—Mike Pence doesn't know the, the electorate today because Mike Pence hired a consultant, and that consultant has 40 years of running Republican campaigns— and that consultant's livelihood depends on that model working. And all of a sudden, the Republican electors say, I don't want to hear that lame joke. I, I, I don't want to hear that, that, that you know, 80-ish punchline. I, I just don't want, to, I don't want to hear that. And, you know, you, you bring in a lot of new people to the dance, um, you know, the working class. We talked about this consolidation of America's working class, and uh, Trump speaks to the UAW workers, uh, you know, and he says things like, I mean, imagine this, guys. I mean, Trump didn't go there and say, hey, do you know in Congo they're mining for um, they're mining for copper and, you know, they're, they're mining for some of these ingredients or some of these minerals that are required to build electric vehicles." I mean, Trump didn't go there because Trump understands that most people, uh, I don't know, man, I mean, the Congo and minerals and mineral mining at 34%, um, you know, green energy is is worse for the, uh, for the environment than the extraction of oil and gas, in other words, in industrial pollutants the oil and gas extraction I mean, that, that would be the way see. That's where I'd get in my own way. I mean, I, I would go meet the UAW and, I, and you know, I think everybody on the debate stage last night, I mean, there, there's one answer to give to the UAW strike. The government's running 40% of you out of business. i um, the government's extreme climate policies are going to force, you know, these auto manufacturers to build a car that people don't want and, and will take far fewer manpower or less manpower to build. I mean, that, that's—nobody answered that last night. I mean, that, that would have been—but I mean, that's a layup to me. And, and I'll say this. The media tries to portray people at times. I mean, they have a darling. You've heard the old saying, media darling. You know, this person is a media darling. It doesn't mean they're competent or smart. I think Breeze is all over it. I mean, these are very average people. When I got elected lieutenant governor, I'll give you a personal example. When I got elected lieutenant governor, I mean, remember, guys, I registered to vote at 40. I mean, I was so naive to politics, oblivious, knew nothing about it, didn't want to know anything about it, got mad with the government agency, ran for county council, won that seat, won again. Uh, some folks came to me, and I've told this folks came to me and asked me to run for lieutenant governor. I did. I won. So so between the time I registered to vote and, and you know, five and a half, six years, I mean, I'm wearing a purple robe presiding over the Senate. So, so on, so, I mean, you know, I'm no, I mean, am I, am I LeBron James? Am I the chosen one? Hell no, not by, not by a hundred miles, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I remember getting to Columbia and I remember kind of saying to myself, okay, I mean, this is you know, this sitting not the hayseeds and hillbillies that I grew up with. I mean, they, these are serious people. They've got degrees from here and degrees from there and, They've been to symposiums and seminars, and, you know, they've been to lectures. I mean, one was even an adjunct professor at one of these prestigious universities. I mean, I got to bring my A game, so I hired a chief of staff from Lake City. <laughs> so I'm from Pamplico. I'm a chief of staff from Lake City. We meander uh, to the – to the. Uh, they kind of show us, okay, this is your office. Mm, pretty nice. Um, <laughs> uh, here's how you get in the building. Oh, okay, here's your parking spot. Uh I remember the parking spot, it was one of those, damn, um, okay, <laughs> that's close, and get to go in the back door and all these good things. So so anyway, we're there one day, and we'd been there a month. I mean, once again, college dropout from a town with no stoplights, and my, my, my chief of staff was a good old Lex City boy who I think started at Clemson and ended up in South Carolina. I don't know that he got kicked out of Clemson. He says he didn't, I think he did, but anyway. His um, He sits out a year, and his dad said, I ain't sending you all the way to Clemson. I'll send you to Columbia. And, and he went to Columbia, finished college. So, anyway, we're tag-teaming, you know, our, our understanding of the Statehouse. It's sophisticated, right? I'm in the Senate. Uh, that's where all the power lies. That's where they're going to be serious about it. So, 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 we behave for a month. And one day during a break, during a recess, I'm in the Senate – one of the caucuses had something to do. Some dignitary was in town, so we suspended the session. We'd go to my office. We're sitting there, and I remember telling him, hey, you remember that day I told you that we really had to bring our A game, that we had to be sharper than sharp, more aware than aware, better than we could possibly. we got to be on our best every day. We may be the two smartest in this building. Now, <laughs> that's not that's not giving me much props. I'm talking about... Very normal people doing the best way they knew how. At times, we perceive these political, uh, I don't know, these people who have risen to, to unbelievable heights in politics. We perceive them to be supernatural. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're extreme examples of, uh, you know, this human superiority. They're not. I mean, they're, they're simply not. They are They're regular people that they, they kind of, sort of, like bright lights, they like attention. They like focus. They they like to be in charge. I mean, there's some, I guess, human conditions. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think politicians are like the rest of us, just more so. I mean, I, yeah, I, I stand by that. I think politicians are like the rest of us, just a little more so. Um, all of us like attention. They like it a little more. All of us like, you know, notoriety. They like it a little more. Uh, everybody loves a little recognition, they just tend to like it to like it a little more. So so when you look at Trump and and why he's 40 points up, I I don't want to say he's a Frank Sinatra Elvis Presley and does it his way, but he does. And the voters find that refreshing. The voters will allow you to make mistakes and say things that they scratch their head and say, I don't know if I'd have said that, or if I don't know, you know, I don't know if that would have been the answer I would have given. But but it didn't sound like a consultant told him to answer it that way. I don't think he polled, but but Trump goes to the UAW last night. And once again, I would have probably been guilty of this. I would have probably looked in the mirror and rehearsed, the reason you're losing, the reason we're facing this situation is the Biden extreme climate policies are going to force us to stop building one kind of car that everybody wants, start building another car that nobody wants. It's going to be more expensive. It's not going to be good for the environment because industrial pollutants by mining or a higher percentage of raw particulates than I mean, you see what i I mean, I would have tried to give somewhat of a smart boy answer. Trump said, You ready? Cost too much and won't go far enough. I mean, your problem is EVs. So he does go there. I mean, he said 40% of you are gonna lose your job because the government's gonna force these manufacturers to build EVs and they cost too much and won't go far enough. Now, will the will the technology get better? I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine there will be a day if we allow the market to dictate terms and conditions, there'll be a day that, that electric vehicles become more affordable, that they become, you know, uh, less charge, more drive time. I mean, I, I believe in innovation. I mean, I believe in technological advancement. I think human beings who are inspired to make things better normally do. But, but I'm not trusting a bureaucrat or a government agency. I will trust engineers and designers and American workers who know how to build cars. I mean, I'll trust them. But, but there's beauty in that simplicity. Now, the, 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 um, the faculty lounge of Harvard found that beneath the dignity of the office. Did you hear what somebody walked into Harvard faculty lounge this morning and said, did you hear that blowhard Donald Trump last night talking to the UAW workers when he said the reason they're going to lose their job is the government's forcing us to build a car that nobody wants and it costs too much, and he said it won't go far. But I mean, is he not realized, you see, I mean, I just think there's beauty in, in that simplicity. And I think people find him refreshing. Is he relatable? I don't know. I don't know how the working class family from, uh, you know, Columbus, Ohio relate to a guy who has his name in bright lights, his own jet, you know, a house in Mar-a-Lago that's worth whatever, whatever it's worth. I don't know, somewhere between. 20 million and a billion. I mean, he says a billion (laughs) and they say 20 million. I don't have any idea uh, what the house is worth, but he doesn't seem to be told what to say, told when to smile, told what to wear, told when to roll his sleeves up, told when to bring his kids and family. Told when to say hello and when to say hi and when to say ain't, when to say y'all and when not.
1: In fact, he say. seems to do the opposite he does, he, if that. he was told to do something.
0: And, and that's why people find him so refreshing. And I think Josh nailed it when Josh says, shame on you guys for buying that bill of goods that you bought for us. <laughs> but we did. I mean, we absolutely Josh did. Josh said he
1: felt sorry for
0: us. Well, I mean, there, there's an old saying in politics. For Demo- you two. Well, I mean, Democrats right. fall in love. Republicans fall in line until 2016 2016 was the first time that the Republican base said not no but hell no I'm not falling in line I don't know what this guy will do but I think he'll do something different than all the rest and that was kind of the refreshing element that led to the electing of Trump kind of um, out of nowhere from 16 we could debate 2020 and what happened what didn't happen uh and right now I mean, as we sit, he's the odds-on favorite to be president come 2024. A lot of things can happen. I mean, this is not a static race. This is very fluid. And, you know, you'll see ebbs and flows in polling. And, you know, the odds makers will say this. But, but right now, today, if we had an election, Donald Trump would be president of the United States again. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We had this debate off the air. You know, when, when Republicans, I mean, I remember early on when, when some Republican voters, the intrigue with Trump was he's a business guy.
4: I mean, That's you know, right. there, for, was, for there years, was some intrigue with him being a business guy,
0: but Romney was a business guy. Mm-hmm. But Romney was a business guy who sounded like every other political candidate that ever came down the pike. Trump was, I mean, to some he's refreshing, to others he's offensive. But but he's different. There is no doubt about it. He's different. Does he mean what he says? I don't know. Is he really who he appears to be at those rallies? I don't have any idea. But but the 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 base of the GOP has decided this is their guy, and until something changes, that's the dilemma. All these other candidates uh, find themselves in. Speaking of President Trump, yesterday uh, he was meeting with UAW workers instead of of The GOP debate. Fox News Radio goes. Jeff Benasso in Chicago is with us. Jeff, good morning. How are you?
8: Uh, I'm doing well, friend. Yeah, he's reading to President Biden uh, in, in Biden's electric vehicle mandates uh, from a part supplier uh, in in Clinton Township, uh, saying that that's the reason. The EV mandates are the reason why the UAW and automakers are battling it out for a, n- a new contract because of. Uh, the billions of dollars that it's taking to comply with this, you know, all-electric future uh, for vehicles that, that he contends do not work and that Americans do not want. Uh, and, and, and you know, he told union uh, workers in Michigan last night that he won't allow under any circumstances the American automobile industry to die in blaming the, the mandate that's already led to the, the, the elimination of, of auto jobs, tens of thousands of them. Um, and, and telling auto workers that that Biden is selling them out to to China. Of course, he had uh, lots of support inside that facility, uh, as well as outside of the facility. And and uh, you know, Trump contends that you know he supports. Well, he you know, he he told UAW workers there that he supports their, their their fight for higher wages, and that he hopes they get a good deal. But he contends that their jobs are gone if automakers transition to all electric
0: it's so interesting, Jeff. Thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. You bet. You too. You know, and, and a lot of what he said yesterday, I mean, I did, I, I've listened to bits and pieces of what he said. I mean, what, what, what the hand to play if you're running for office, I mean, obviously this is a big part of Michigan and Wisconsin, you know, labor unions. I just don't know that Trump can go to a place of supporting, I mean, I, I don't believe the GOP base believes that someone should be paid 40 hours when they only work 32 and a 40% pay raise. I, I just, I, I, I put something on Twitter yesterday and I'll stand by this, the repu- the evolution of the GOP base right now. And, and I think office holders have to perceive this to be the new normal. And I don't know where that line of demarcation is. I mean, this is kind of co- a confusing matter. I mean, we debated this a little bit yesterday with CEO pay. Um, we've historically, and let's be candid. We've historically, whether we admit it or not, we worshipped the altar of capitalism. We've defended capitalism under any condition, at any extreme. And I think we're now saying, no, capitalism's not a something. It's not an idol, but rather an economic theory, and it does take tweaking with. and And I think what the Republican Party strategy should be is to distinguish the business community from corporate America. I mean, when you say corporate America, you, you, what, what you're insinuating is, well, these are those guys who make the deal with government that, 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 that eventually create a larger consolidation of, uh, you know, of market share. And uh, that, that's a complicated matter. And I don't know how you do it in a bumper sticker or soundbite. But I think that's where the GOP has to go. I mean, I think the base believes that there's a difference in the business community here and corporate America there. And you've got to create a uh, kind of a simple way to suggest to voters that corporate America is an extension to the government. The government's kind of an extension of corporate America. And you know how they are. They make those deals that none of us benefit from except the government and, uh, and corporate America. And I mean, that that takes some, some political skills. And, and I, I think Trump's got to do better than this. At some point in time, car calls too much and won't go far enough. I mean, that, you know, that that's, that's the case now. But that may not be the case for long. I mean, innovation and technology will advance, and they'll eventually make a, a more affordable electric car that does go on longer drives with less charge. But right now, convincing workers that the extreme climate policy of the Biden administration will cost 40% of you your job, that's the strategy today. But it's going to have to evolve probably before November of
1: 2024. Let's go to the phone. Bryce and Florence. Good morning, Bryce.
9: Hey guys, um, for the life of me, I've never understood why in the primary debates they they beat each other up so much. I mean, this goes back to to years, and then knowing that once one is is named our our candidate or or the party's candidate, that they're all going to throw their support for them. And and, I mean, last night was a great opportunity that, I mean, anyone on stage could could, um, hold up Governor DeSantis and say, I mean, look what he's doing in Florida. That's what we're going to try to do in more states across the country. Look at um, Senator Scott. He's a black man that has shown that that he was able to have success in this country. Um, look at Governor Burgum. He He's the, the one candidate that seems to really know what he's talking about and every time he speaks when he's given the chance. Like, we all learn something from it, and you can tell he knows kind of – the The reasoning behind why things are either going wrong or going right. Nikki Haley's the same way. Um, I think her time away from governor, she knows what she wants to say. She doesn't always say it perfectly. Um, but um, Vice President Pence. I mean, he worked with Trump. He's been there when the when the country was doing well. Um, up until COVID kind of blindsided us all. But we were on the right path and get back to that path. But I mean, it's a perfect opportunity to build one another up because independent voters that no matter who we select, um, we've all got good ideas, we all support each another, and we, I mean, put them all together and, and this country is going to get back on track. But it just baffles me every two or four years, um, or every four years, the, the primary candidates just sit there and bash one another, tear each other down, and then, surprise, surprise, we support one another once once we select one.
0: Thank you, Bryce. He's right. I mean, you know, I thought about the irony of last night's debate at the presidential library of whom? Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. What was Reagan's 11th commandment? I wrote it verbatim. You ready? Thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. Um, As a Gamecock fan, one of the things the conference we're a part of does is rally around one another. You know, what is the SEC's record this weekend? The SEC had five of the top ten recruiting classes in America. I know it grates on other on other people. Now, when Tennessee and South Carolina play, there's going to be a winner and a loser, and they'll go at it. Um, there'll be late hits, and there'll be you know um dirty blocks, and there'll be a hotly contested you know football game. But but fan bases tend to pull for their brethren, the SEC brethren. Uh, it just means more. It's kind of a rallying cry. Um, but 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 if you think about it, guys, you get one shot to win. You get one shot to win, and there's not going to be a panel nominated. There's going to be a candidate nominated. There will be one man or woman standing at the end, and we're all self-preservationists, and you're fighting for your political life. So, So it's easy to say thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican, but you're 40 points down to somebody you don't have a lot of respect for. I mean, if you're Christie or Pence or Haley for that matter, I mean, I don't know how some of the others feel. But they don't have a lot of respect for Donald Trump, and he's 40 points ahead of them. So you're saying, well, you just got to be larger than the moment. Okay, human beings normally aren't. (laughs) Let's go to the phone.
1: (laughs) Here's Jeff and Florence. Good morning, Jeff. You're on. Hey, good morning.
10: Um, Boy, you guys almost had me spitting out my coffee. Um, when, When you were saying how pathetic last night's debate was and how the stark contrast between that and what is Donald Trump. Uh, this is the guy who is
0: whole persona is. I don't think we ever got, said the stark contrast. I mean, that, you're putting words in. I don't think Rev oh, said it, nor did I. That there's uh, the debate last night was an embarrassment, but I never said okay. in contrast who had Trump been there. Well, but you, you said there's such a difference between what that was and Donald Trump, right? I don't think I said that. You watched an MSNBC. No, no, I'm. I'm well, I, I'm sure I didn't got, say that. Uh, either way. I, I, no, I, I'm e- sure I didn't say way, that.
10: Okay. E- either way. I think. Um, the, I think the he, contrast he was.
1: It, I think the contrast was between the, the scripted one-liners versus Trump just kind of kind of you know, winging it. Yeah, making it up as he goes. That's my,
10: <laughs> yeah, that's my point. Donald Trump is. If he had a superpower, it would be to say insulting things to people. He's made that's his whole persona and and there's no I mean like the things he says about women the thing he says the things he says about his competition uh Marco Rubio tiny rubio um you know get just, it right get it think, right
0: little marco he didn't they yeah. never called him tiny yeah. just, it was little just, marco
10: right just think about what you you're you're bashing those republicans for trying to come up with scripted one liners this guy comes naturally by it you're right he is you know he does the equal thing, which is demeaning and and pithy and small. He attacks personally, right? So I, I do want to say that uh, that that's funny to me. That uh, those the, you don't see the irony in that, and you don't see a difference. Oh, I, I think there's uh, an
0: absolute difference. One one appears to just one appears to make it up as he goes, and it seems authentic. The others, you suspect, they may have stood in front of a mirror for 30 minutes and said it yes. until Practice. it sounded exactly right. And I'm just arguing sure. that the American public the, today. The
10: message is the same.
0: Well, I mean, you know, the but, message but, is the same. But, I mean, politics is negative by nature. I mean, I, I don't know any political campaign that's ever been run without some negativity associated. Well, uh,
10: John McCain did a pretty good
0: job. He lost. Well,
10: I mean, sometimes, you know, you lose. Yes. Uh, there, there, There is,
0: I, I believe, George Bush did. Uh, you know, two and one did a good job. I think I W accused McCain of having illegitimate kids in the South Carolina primary because if they didn't win South Carolina, W was on his way to losing the primary. And they floated rumors in the media that John McCain had an Carl. illegitimate child. Sure. Carl Rove did that. Yeah, yeah of right. course he did. Yeah, so, so, I mean, to suggest Trump's the only guy that's ever said insulting no. things, I just think he does it better than anybody. I, I, like I said, it's his superpower.
1: Hey, our, our uh, current uh, president sure likes to demonize the ultra MAGA. Is that what they came up with to make a, to demonize his opponents? Well,
10: would Would you rather be called a, a satanic uh, pedophile or an ultra MAGA? <laughs> which Which one's? <laughs> I mean, are, are these on the same level in your mind? <laughs> okay, so I, I did want to Trump's speech. Um, he gave it at a non-union parts supplier. Uh, Why do you think he didn't go to an auto plant?
0: They probably wouldn't let him at the auto plant because of the UAW president. He and Trump don't care much for one another, and that guy calls a lot of the shots.
10: Yeah, and and if you go back and look at what Trump said in 2015 and 16, come to find out most of what he said didn't happen.
0: But I don't know, Jeff, that Trump scores many points by being sympathetic to the labor union. I think he scores a lot of points being sympathetic to the American worker, and the labor union members I mean, are American workers. But I, I've never believed that Trump need to kind of um, separate the union workers from the from the American workers. He's not ever going to gain but so much support from labor unions. But but you know, the the but American, American the, but but the American working class, by and large, are solidly in Trump's camp. I mean that's undeniable. But, but- but American, work, American First,
10: saving jobs, protecting the auto industry, that's why he failed. That's where he didn't keep up with his promises. What did he promise in, in, the American uh, auto worker? It, it, look it up. I mean, they, he, he went to plants in 2015 and 16 in Michigan, said, I'm going to protect your jobs. Those plants, after the uh, after the election when Trump was president, they did close. They did move overseas. You know he didn't. He didn't fulfill his campaign promises. Shocker! There, I know. Like, you know, Mexico didn't pay for the wall. We didn't get a wall. We didn't repeal Obamacare. Uh, we didn't have infrastructure week. Um, you know, we didn't pull out of Afghanistan. Uh, You know, it's the road to his failed promises is very wide.
0: Why is he leading today, Jeff? I mean, if he he was so miserable at his job, why is he leading today?
10: Uh, He is. He is leading a poll of people who are participating in polls.
0: The RCP. The RCP average today has him as the wise guys, so to speak, do. As the odds-on favor to be president of the United States, why is that? Yeah, take that check to the bank and cash it. Well, I mean, I would, but if I had to bet today, I'd bet on Trump. And if you, you were would. a smart man, yeah, I mean, and if you were a smart man, you'd bet on Trump as well.
10: I, 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 I have more faith in America, but.
0: Just to talk about Fair enough. Hey, hey we yeah, gotta take a break. We, we gotta take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. <laughs> Hour number four on a Thursday morning, GOP primary debate recap. We've done the best we can of giving a non-journalistic, opinion oriented uh recap. Evan Brown is in Miami. He's with us this morning. Evan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. So we're depending on you. We've given the unofficial recap. We're depending on you to give us the official recap of the GOP primary debate
7: okay um so the best i think recap i could give you actually came from former president donald trump who after the uh you know he was not in attendance there but afterwards he posted on his truth social uh account a political cartoon style picture of the seven candidates at their podiums with the trump silhouette shadow hanging all over them (laughs) and i think that's perhaps as accurate as i can make it uh a number of people found ways to make sure they could talk about Donald Trump last night when, in fact, they should have been perhaps maybe talking more about themselves. Uh, but on top of that, I think there was a lot of uh, negativity last night. Um, you know, what was interesting to me was that, uh, well, your your former governor, Nikki Haley, uh, uh, taking a, a rather mean stab at Vivek Ramaswamy, saying that she feels dumber every time he talks. Um, that's the kind of stuff they used to chastise Trump for and that said it had no place in in the in the Republican party and and there she was doing it herself. So it struck me as odd. It struck me as odd that Tim Scott would go after uh, Nikki Haley over the UN curtains issue from from how many years ago? In fact, I, like like many people, I had to sort of google that and refresh my memory about it, and then was perplexed as to why he would bother taking up what little precious time he was going to get in talking about that. Um, you know, we had a nice couple of speechifying moments, I think, from a few people. Uh, Ron DeSantis certainly likes to uh, use his uh, uh, his accomplishments as governor in terms of ticking off a lot of conservative populist agenda items. Uh, but uh, you also had a lot of cringe moments. The Chris Christie, Donald Duck comment just was really flat. Uh, the Mike Pence, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years joke was just cringe. I wasn't even a dad joke. It was just cringe. Uh, And, um, you know, you can tell when the audience doesn't laugh right away, and then you kind of get a couple of nervous laughs, and and it doesn't really become the infectious laughter rolling through the the crowd that, you know, it's a bad move. Um, Ultimately, you had a lot of people behaving badly. I I do want to give some credit to uh, my colleagues, Dana Perino and Stuart Varney. Uh, and uh, uh, Miss Calderon from uh, Una who tried their best to wrangle these folks. I think they were a bit more forceful than some previous uh, moderator groups by even telling people to essentially shut up. Um, but uh, you, you had a, a big cacophony last night, and I don't, you know, you, you're, you was all among people kind of fighting for second and third and fourth place anyway. I Edmund, mean, and I think, I mean, I'll add this,
0: and I want to get your take on this. To me, and I've run for office yeah. before. It to me, right. it was the last stand of the consultant think tank-driven campaign. When you talk about these, these one-liners, these punchlines, these, yeah. these candidates competing uh, press conferences one with another, historically that's, that's worked. But, but for whatever reason, and I don't completely understand why, the GOP electorate find authenticity to be unbelievably enticing. And, and those candidates on that stage last night look to have been prepared by old-school consultants and think tank talking points, and that is so misaligned with where the GOP base is
7: today. It, it occurs to me that that is very often the GOP fatal flaw. Uh, the there is the hiring uh, of consultants. Uh, look, look, I'm, there's consultants who do very good work. I, I don't want to put off the entire industry, but uh, there are there are people who are are selling a, a, a binder full of uh, of tactics, if you will. And I think they're horribly out of date. I think that people in general, voters, are craving not just authenticity but substance. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if they got much of that last night. I, I you know, I, I don't think you learned much more about policy positions and plans. Uh, you, you got a lot of talking points, but a lot of them could have been the same talking points from from 2004 or 2008 or. 1996, maybe even (laughs) Um, I I just I just don't know that uh, that they were well developed, um, that they were made uh, relevant to someone who is 25 or 30 years old today uh, in this economy uh, and uh, and dealing with other world events, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's this encroachment of of our superpoweredness by either Russia or China. Uh, or the, the global security threats posed by Iran or North Korea, um, I, I don't think it spoke to people who are trying to establish their lives and yet can't afford to do so, whether because they do have a crushing student debt and no resolution to that, uh, but also no prospects to be able to pay it off themselves, or just even if they don't have that and, and they're getting out into the workforce and, and finding that you know gas is still you know four bucks a gallon where they live or more uh, and that drives up the cost of everything else so uh there there we are I don't I don't think people walked away from this uh, if they were watching going you know I like this one guy now more I I, I know what he's about or she's about and and, and, and I'm considering voting for him and during my party state primary whenever that should be and so I, I don't I don't think anyone I don't think that's the result of last night I really don't
0: and I think you're spot on thank you Abbott. appreciate your time. You got it. That's a kind of an interesting take. And, and I do believe, um, I mean, Robert's talked a lot about that, and, and I'm aware of that. I mean, the Republican Party is a party that has historically been beholden to rigidity of concept. In other words, um, Trump's bold. Didn't we say that earlier? Is Trump smart? I mean, how smart? Is Trump uh, versed on the issues? How versed? Uh, we can have debates about his, you know, his his political skills, his his um his sincerity, his intellect. There is no debating whether he's not bold. I mean, he is an extremely bold man, and I think right now in America, you are disproportionately rewarded for being bold. You know, there's a saying: "The future belongs to the bold." Well, I mean, we we can debate what he is and is not, but there is no debate to be had as to whether he's not a bold man. And right now in American politics, boldness is probably as disproportionately rewarded as anything. Let's go to the phone. Nick in Lexington. Good morning, Nick. You're on the air. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you?
11: Ken, you you triggered me when you called uh, Trump a populist, which he is, but I don't know anyone since Bush one, maybe, that has governed from a platform anymore. I mean, a, I I keep
0: going, I don't know the difference between a Democrat and a Republican anymore. I, Am I, I wrong? No, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think there's a philosophical divide. I mean, I think liberals, just by their nature, are more sympathetic to government. I think conservatives, by their nature, are more suspicious of government. But when we get together— and and form governing majorities of minorities, and the majority works with the minority. Minority works. We 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 tend to end up with very similar policies. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that at all.
11: Yeah, it's whatever the lobbyists want.
0: Well, and, and, lobbyists and, and Nick, that's that's kind of what we. I mean, we had a long, long discussion yesterday about the economy and business and its interaction with government. I, I do believe that. I mean, I, I think that you know, and I said earlier, I don't know if you were listening or not, Nick, but I I believe. that that one of the fundamentals of the Republican party today is to understand with clarity where they stand on the difference in the business community in corporate America. Uh, You Uh, know, I I, I hate to say this because I never thought I'd utter these words in public. I'm an anti-corporatist. I'm not against corporations making profit. I'm not against corporations, you know, having a certain market share. I'm not against corporations having thousands of employees, I am against corporations spending an undue amount of money to unfairly influence government to get their way. And and that's a very populist sentiment, but I think it's unbelievably relatable to most Americans. I think most Americans feel the way I do. I I don't know that they sat down and say, okay, here's my line, and on this side of the line is the business community. That's where Nick and Ken live. On the other side of the line is corporate America. But, But I do think subconsciously, we're, we're, we're kind of self-evaluating how we feel about distinguishing one from the other.
11: And, and and my point is is, I don't know that these candidates, anybody's defining where they are anymore. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know that Nikki Haley governs from the ideal of smaller government and, you know, these kinds of things. And that's what irritates me, I guess. You know, I don't even know what to tell my 14-year-old what's the difference between a democrat and a republican. You know, when when we took civics it was, you know, the democrats really believed in that government could help the poor more and that republicans be, believed if you put more money in the people's pocket, they would give to churches and they would help the poor more. That but it's not like that anymore. To me, you know, I feel like the Democrats want your poor, so they have more people. You know what I mean? Sure I do. So you know they need your poor, and you know. So I, my point is, and it's still it just it's a. I just cannot. I, I wish we had some governing philosophy again, and I just don't think we do.
0: You know, and that's what I wanna I wanna ask you. Well, well so see Nick, but but see I think I think the people in Washington genuinely have a governing philosophy. I mean, if you sat down and had a beer with a conservative or a liberal in Washington, I think they could tell you what their philosophy is, but the next thing you know, somebody from Big Pharma shows up with a hundred thousand dollars. Somebody from, you know, manufacturing shows up with a hundred thousand, somebody from the in- insurance sector shows up and all of a sudden y- you make a decision. Am I obedient to my philosophy? Or am I beholden to the people who help me get reelected every two, four or six years? And I think we've got too many people now who are forsaking their philosophy in favor of political expediency. And that means fundraisers and and lobbyists and contributions and trips to wherever, you know, I I just think that professional politics has taken the place of what what you philosophically stand for and believe in.
11: I, I guess you're right. I mean, See, you've had beers with politicians.
0: I have beers with framers. Well, I mean, and I th- and I say this, and I think the advantage I have over most, I've had beers with both. I mean, I've had many, many beers with framers, and many, many beers with with steel salesmen, and many, many beers with welders, and many, many beers with dignitaries, and 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 you know, and governors, and uh, you know, Congress members, and. Uh, you know, I, I, that's why I think I can give a unique perspective. I am no smarter than anybody. You guys know that, but I do bring a perspective of having been in business all my life in a very blue collar business. I mean, where my life depended on, you know, workers showing up every day, doing a job. And, and then I've also stepped into the realm of these all important and minor, you know, powerful people that, you know, believe they're in control of, of the universe. So, So, you know, that, that's the perspective I bring. It is kind of a, um, it's a joint venture. You know, I draw on the experience of, of being in truck body manufacturing and, and property development and also draw on, you know, having spent ah, 16 years in politics.
11: I, I, I agree. And that's one of the things that I liked about Trump because he, especially with the book I read with Art of the Deal, he talked to the superintendents on his job. You know, I felt like he, he really does communicate with the ordinary person even though he's wealthy. You well, know what I mean? When he yeah. said that, you know, it really resonated with me when he said the problem with with uh, Hillary was all she did was sign the back of checks. She never signed
0: the front of one. Very you well know? said. You're always a good caller, Nick. Appreciate you. 843 Another call? Okay, let's go to the phone.
1: David in the PD. Good morning, David. You're
11: on. Hey man, unique perspective is what makes us individuals. My man, uh, hey, I, I did witness some history last night. I'll say this real quick: as far as Ronald Acuna, seventy stolen bases. Uh, so I'll give him credit for Dave's Braves. And I had a chance to watch. No, they're, they're our Dave's. Braves,
1: David. They're our Braves <laughs> oh, now. Oh,
11: you're on back no, on no, the bandwagon. When they, <laughs> great. When they lose, when they lose, the Kins Braves. <laughs> Think about it now. Dave's phrase sounds a lot better. Listen, media fellas. I mean, Dave's phrase that sounds a lot better, you know, than than Ken's phrase. But anyway, uh, I was you were talking about the moderator. I, when I thought about Dana Perino last night, i was thinking about Stephanopoulos, Jim Saki, the press te- secretary, the career path. In, in the media, and I just wish that Maria Bartiromo would have been on there last night. Like, man, that girl, she's from Brooklyn. She took control of all these people, just like Ken took control of those people when he moderated the debate. But when I think of Reagan and Trump, these people made a livelihood on camera before politics. And what you saw last night and what you see with Clinton, Obama, Biden, is people that go into politics and trying to make a livelihood being a celebrity after they're on camera. So that 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 frustrates me, man, and I say one thing you know, i was, I was looking at Nikki Haley last night. Can't she wore Garnet? I saw uh, that. she went to Clemson yeah. she went to Clemson, didn't she? She did uh she i uh, give her credit. I mean, I can hear the Bamberger voice and Nikki wore garnet that would be a good song and then but she and Tim went at each other. I didn't like that because I understand they understand the political timeline they understand. And this is the question, what is your path to victory? And I think it's like, okay, these people get going to get tired of Trump, and there's going to be some revelation we haven't heard about Donald Trump. And they look at the political calendar, and they're all trying to hang around until they get to South Carolina before they go to the Super Tuesday. But those would be good questions. But if you look at this, I'm going to give Reagan and Trump credit. Hey, they made a livelihood before they got in politics, so – most of these people we see today, that's when they make the money is when they get into the politics. So, so look at Joe Biden. But anyway, man, I, I, I've, I've said too much. Y'all have a good
0: day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I do a good job of giving an unofficial account, but I'm not an expert. We need experts to tell us what happened last night, things that they saw that mere mortals such as yours truly didn't see. Robert Kahaley. Senior strategist with Trafalgar has agreed to join us this morning. Robert, good morning. How are you?
12: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me
0: again. So here's my random observation. I want to get your take on it. It was candidates competing press conferences, prepared punchlines, and terribly moderated. I mean, that's my takeaway. But Robert, you and I have had this conversation. I don't want to get your take on this. To me, it was almost the the campaigns run by traditional consultants. And think tanks last stand. Um, the things that enticed Republican primary voters in days gone by simply don't work anymore. The outdated consultant model, the think tank model, am I owned to something or not?
12: Well, I think you know, you are to a certain degree. I mean, I, I've, I've described this morning. I was on Fox Business, and I said that I felt like the moderators were um, more matadors uh, than moderators in this thing. But I she actually kind of liked that. Because what you get to see is leadership, like who is going to, who understands that balance between yelling and speaking assertively enough to cut through? And you know, we, we saw a good bit of that. And you know, when you, you think about it, what's fascinating about these debates is th- this is not just the battle for second place, which is what you would think with Trump so far ahead. This is actually a battle for third place. Because DeSantis is pretty firmly in second place, and neither debate has he done anything to lower himself significantly, nor has he done anything to raise himself. But he's kind of treaded water and seemed a little bit like the adults in the room some of the time. But what you saw is this kind of battle, uh, you, you know, kind of almost the battle of the South Carolinas and the uh, everybody at, at between those two, and then everybody kind of attacking Ramaswamy, and it was. It was very funny because I thought he, he really had a bad night because uh, all the connect, you know, kind of hit him, all the connections to China um, and the, you know, just kind of belittling him coming from multiple candidates. And, and I thought that was very significant. And Pence, you know, he, 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 we talk about the old days. It's like this debate is moving at this lightning speed. And then Pence comes on and it's like the old days we used to have cassette tapes. When you hit a spot and it just slows down, that's what it was like with Pence was talking. And it was like, just say it. For gosh sake, would you just say what you're going to say <laughs> and quit being so slow about it? I mean, you're ridiculous. And, you know, all this inflection is just like, man, you just don't get it. You, you are just, you're a day behind. I mean, you, you're in the last decade. I don't know what you're up to. But, uh, but I thought that Scott had a great night. I thought um, uh, Haley had a good night. And, um, you know, it was, it was, and actually, one of the guys was kind of funny. I thought Burkham had a good night. He was the first guy to talk about how the electric cars are the problem. And it's amazing. All these Republicans talk about union stuff, and nobody hit the key point, which was the electric cars. And, you know, it's like to see him bring that up, it's like, oh. Well, it's good thing somebody was here who understands some stuff. And we talked about, you know, be, being a governor and actually engaging in zero-based budgeting, not just talking about it. I remember you used to talk about zero-based budgeting. And I, I thought he made some very key points. And, of course, Christy always with his, you know, Donald Duck. I mean, it was just really funny and just the way he kind of framed it. But I didn't see anybody... Emerging as a real opposition to Trump at this point,
0: Robert. Well, wouldn't one of the good questions be:ing Everybody on this stage is at least forty points behind Donald Trump. Why and what do you do to catch? I mean, it, it, you talked about nobody really cut through the clutter. Um, one irony or one point of irony is the Reagan Library and Reagan's eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican." But when you're forty down, you've got to speak ill of the guy who's forty points ahead, don't you?
12: No, I think you don't have to. Uh, because here's the problem. The guy who's 40 points ahead has a group of people who, if you cut him enough, will never support you, and you can't win the general election without him. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where – I mean, this is – none of these people realistically expect to beat Trump. They are trying to emerge if Trump doesn't end up making it to the finish line. I don't think, I mean, anybody who thinks they're going to beat Trump in this primary is not realistic. But he, but the question is, if something happens, for whatever reason, he doesn't finish. I mean, I think, you know, it's like it's like a, a old stock car race. They're all just assuming the leader's are going to run out of gas. And so everybody right behind him is positioning, not trying to beat the guy who's in first place. And, and that's what's happening. I don't see them emerging, but I don't think you can hit him enough. But, you know, you talk about con consultant model. I mean, you still see very much Haley is still kind of using those uh, consultant kind of talking points and trying to go through her list and things like that. And, and certainly Pence is. And then, you know, Romiform is just a good debater, but he, he, he's he got some holes in his resume and certainly his business connection to China. But, you know, I'd give the most approved award to Tim Scott. I mean, he was a nothing burger in the first debate and he did a good job. But To see Haley and Scott going at each other just kind of funny. I mean, it's like Haley says you are a do-nothing. Like, you appointed him, lady? You know, you're the one who decided that this guy's record before, which wasn't much different than his record in the Senate, is so, you know, you're the one who decided you should be a senator. And then, Tim, I mean, how do you take somebody who appointed you and and be so nasty to him? I just, that's what people hate about politics. I mean, you, you, you didn't got no, like Haley or not, if you're Tim Scott, you shouldn't be attacking her.
0: Robert, is this party today anti globalist, anti interventionist, anti China? I mean, is it that simple or is it a lot more? Because no. con- Haley seems to still be carrying the water for the military industrial complex. Is there still a lane there that's formidable I enough got- to, to to pay attention to?
12: But well, Haley's problem is that it's always has been. She tries to have one foot in each world, and neither world loves her. Because she tries to be anti China, but she's really kind of pro um, forever war and pro uh, more of a traditional American intervention agenda. And so, you know, you got DeSantis the, the, the and Ramaswamy very much on the, you know, more kind of anti-globalism, along I'd say probably with, with Bergen to a lesser degree uh, Pence, but, you know, it is kind of a dividing line, and it, it also it comes back to, like, Ukraine. I mean, there's a there's a completely opposition to Ukraine and uh, to funding, and then there's a more uh, a Ukraine ac- accountable position, where, which I think Scott kind of established because but I think that's where the line is it's easy to say you're anti-China it is hard to talk about where did where to draw those lines or what that actually means you know it's just like in South Carolina you talk about well you're not going to let the Chinese own you know all right well, let's talk about Chinese not owning land Now does that mean Chinese companies can't come to South Carolina and have any land I mean it, it starts getting more complicated and then people start kind of changing you know their opinions but I, I think it's it is hard to articulate it. It's easy to say, I, you know, I, I'm anti globalist so I'm, or I'm a pro uh, kind of a Reagan foreign policy position. But, but to articulate what the differences are, I think it is very blurry. I mean, even Trump said he didn't think Russia would have invaded Ukraine, but had Russia invaded Ukraine, he would have taken care of it very quickly and funded Ukraine and got this thing over with. So not so much against Ukraine, but just against dragging it out for three years, having a clear mission accomplishing it and moving it on. And so – and I haven't heard anybody articulate that position on Ukraine, and and that's one Trump articulated when he was actually interviewed in depth on it. So I don't – you know, it's, just, it's not that simple, and I think it's easy to talk about it when you haven't really had the power to do anything.
0: Last question, and I can't let you get out of here. Robert Cayley, senior strategist, Trafalgar, is joining us this morning. Um, the ABC News-Washington Post poll had Donald Trump up 10 percentage points. I don't buy that. I don't think you buy that. But where is Trump relating to where he was when he ran in 16 and ran in 20? I've argued he's never been in this strong a position. I mean, I, I get the legal matters. And next year, who knows what um, what the courthouse has in store for him. But as a, as a political candidate running in a primary— Has Trump ever been in as good a polling position as he is right now?
12: Uh, No, no, certainly not, because he didn't really have a primary in 2020. And in 2016, he was leading, but not like these numbers. I mean, this is an insurmountable lead, especially with this many candidates. And these, you know, these guys all have huge egos. And I do agree with the idea of, you you got, they're going to have to start as much as, I mean, and obviously, you know, we're one of the people who, our polls determine who goes this debate but this idea that you can be in single digits this late and still be in it. Um, they're going to have to start moving that up and tightening in it because you're never going to thin this crowd. You know I mean Asa Hutchinson d- didn't make it this time. He's the only little difference from last time. But I think that you're you, I think you're, you may see Burgum and you may see uh, Pence not not make the next one but you know, Trump is in a strong position, and where he is, you know, versus Biden, uh, is, is not clear. I mean, it first of all, we even do these national polls, but they really don't matter because this is not that way they do the election, it, it, it is state by state. But I think Trump goes into this thing strong, especially considering what's going on. But this is all with all of people having this impression that. All these charges are you know are, are bogus and they're not going to really move that hard. And we're going to have to see how this stuff settles out and does he maintain this? You know, especially if he gets a couple of guilty verdicts uh, and depends on who gives them the guilty verdicts. I mean, nobody's nobody's really going to, to buy, you know, a, a, uh, a Fulton County, uh, Georgia or a New York verdict. But let's say, uh, for example, he was convicted in. You know, with a pro-Trump judge in the federal trial in Miami. Now that that's different. Uh, so I think it's going to depend on some of the verdicts, and it's going to depend on where where he is, is whether he maintains his lead. But he it, it, it certainly, I just don't see any indication that uh, he's not going to hold on to it. And and I do think he has he has a good lead. But I don't I don't think some of the I think some of the polls have an elevated lead for Trump nationally. But we've seen this before because. There's no greater way to show a drop when you want one than to elevate somebody early, which is exactly, again, we talk about the polls are designed to affect or reflect the electorate. And we still got people trying to affect the electorate with their polling.
0: Well explained. Robert, thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us on the spur of the moment. Robert Haley, senior strategist, Trafalgar. Thank you. Yes, sir. That's kind of an interesting perspective. I felt felt it important. I want to congratulate Josh for running uh, Robert Down consultants are like political consultants are like rock and roll stars. They stay up all night and sleep all day. And Robert was kind enough to join us, and I think he was on Fox Business this morning. Um, giving his take, and uh, he let you in on a little secret there. Robert's poll is one of the four polls that decide who's on the debate stage. You know wh- where you are in relation. Uh, you know, at two and a half percent, the Trafalgar poll that goes into the calculus of whether or not you're allowed to be on the uh, on the debate stage. It's kind of interesting that Robert. First time I've heard him say that um, to believe you can beat Trump at a primary is just, I mean, it's not going to happen. The The only wild card out there is whether or not some of these pending legal matters. Um, and, and and I think he's on to something. And if, if Trump gets in, if Trump gets convicted in Fulton County, Georgia, I think it's looked on a certain way. If he's convicted in a place where people feel he got a fair shake, It's probably perceived a little differently. Doesn't change Josh's mind. Doesn't change my mind. But we're not independent voters in Pennsylvania, or Wisconsin, or Michigan, or Nevada, or Arizona. Um, So I do believe that that if there is a legitimate charge and a legitimate conviction, where people feel he got treated fairly but still was found guilty, that could be problematic. But but once again, I don't think you could convict him of anything in Fulton County that most people would take um, serious at all. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Another day of uh, kind of a moving target. We, we don't We don't give lectures on one subject for four hours. We give multiple lectures on multiple subjects hour after hour. One thing we've always done is try to give time to people who are sincerely dedicated to worthy causes, making the community a better place. And Joey Edwards with Youth Mentors of the PD is with us. Joey's been on our on our show many, many times. So hi, uh, you told me 30 years you've yes, done Kent. this.
13: That's right, Ken. And, um, right. and,
0: and, and trying to make – Youth Mentors of the PD was formerly –
13: Big brothers, big sisters.
0: And there was some sort of, uh, I don't know, something they did that some of you organizations didn't take kindly to. Exactly. And
13: Their business model changed, and it didn't really fit what we were doing so our board decided to disaffiliate with him in 2018.
0: And, and you want all the money raised to go to the cause at hand. You want to try and help these kids who are not getting the mentorship that, that many of us got at home. So, so brief explanation, what exactly is the Youth Mentors of the PD? Well,
13: what we do, Ken, is we work with children from single-parent and broken homes. Uh, these children are in this situation through no fault of their own. And what we do is we try to get involved in their lives, in their academics, in their behavior, and just, just in their everyday life, and try to become a part of that and encourage them in their academics and in their behavior, and hopefully help them become a productive citizen in society instead of a burden on society.
0: And it takes a budget.
13: It and does. And budget
0: requires a bottom line and money. You have a charity golf tournament annually, and uh, and you want people to participate in that so you can um, help these kids who aren't getting the guidance. That many of us were fortunate enough to get. So when is the golf tournament? Where's the golf tournament? How can somebody who likes playing golf participate?
13: The tournament is on October sixth. That's a week from Friday. Ken, it's out at Tracy's Golf Club, and we have seventy-five dollars a player, three hundred dollars for a four-man team. We have whole sponsorships available for one hundred and fifty dollars, and then we have medallion sponsorships that are worth or that are one thousand dollars and we need every one of those so if anybody wants to play golf if they want to have a whole sponsorship if they want to be a medallion sponsor please give us a call our number is 843-662-7081 we'd be glad to hear from you and we would certainly be glad to have you come play golf with us next friday on october 6th
0: and this is good golfers or bad golfers or anywhere in between
13: anywhere in between just come we'll have a good time hopefully the weather will be good We'll have a good day of golf and fellowship, and we'll also hopefully raise some money for our organization.
0: Joey, this money goes, I mean, obviously the mission is to, to, to mentor these kids, but, but the, 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 the money is outreach, the money is infrastructure, the money is um, to try and identify people who aren't mentors that may be willing to become mentors. I know you're always in pursuit of more people willing to give their time.
13: Exactly right. We can always use volunteers, Ken, and like I say this money will help us hopefully reach more children in the PD area that are in a situation as I said of their not not of their making but that can use some friendship that's what the entire program's based upon being the child's friend helping them through the difficult times of growing up and again helping them hopefully become productive citizens in society
0: so if someone wants to be a part of that let's let's say they want to play golf they want to contribute financially but they want to go the extra step and become somewhat of a mentor how how do we do that
13: okay like i said our phone number is 843-662-7081 we have a website com. you can go to that and there's a donate button on there you can go to um but there again like I say give us a call we'd love to talk to you about volunteering donations playing golf please give us a call 843-662-7081
0: and the golf tournament once again is where when and, and you still got teams
13: open. I mean, you got sponsors and team opportunities ready and waiting, right? It's so October the 6th, at traces golf club. Um, we have a new, a noon lunch and a shotgun start at one o'clock to play golf. Please come out, join us. We'd love to have you. And it, uh, the money all goes to a good organization. that's trying to make a difference in the PD area. One child at a time.
0: Okay. Thank you, Joey. Thank Appreciate you. it again. And once again, prizes for first, second, and third place teams will be awarded. Uh, to the low net scores, I think they're using the handicap um, system. If you're a good golfer, you get scored a certain way. If you suck like me, you get scored uh, another way. But the youth mentors of the PD and Joey Edwards working hard, trying to give these kids some guidance and mentorship uh, where they normally uh, don't get it. Thank you, Joey. Thank, Thank you. Good. good to see you. We got a couple of minutes, Josh. You want to sing "Born to Run" or something, or "Thunder Road" or something? I can try. Okay. No, no. You, <laughs> you, you. You've, Josh has a, Josh has a unique dilemma on his hands. Because he'll come in here at times and say, you know, I wanted to say something yesterday when you were talking about X. And I said, Josh, I'm not going to give you any time. I mean, if you're waiting on me to get out of the way and allow you politely to speak, you'll never get to talk. You've got to interrupt. You've got to kind of just knock me out of the way at times. Did I not tell you that? You did. So, so, So I guess what I'm saying is I've given you fair warning of my rudeness and impoliteness. And and I've told you that as long as these microphones are on, I got something to say. So if you've got something to say, you better jump in and not wait on me to kind of Josh. It's your turn, right? Fair enough. Okay. So so um, do you have anything you want to add? This would be a rare moment that I ask Josh, Ooh. do you have anything to add uh, to the conversation?
4: Well, I uh, you know we kind of talked earlier in the show about the uh, presidential. GOP debate and something I, I was a little confused. I Robert Cahaley, when he called in, he said he thought uh Chris Christie's comment about calling Donald Trump Donald Duck. He said it was funny. I'm not sure what he meant by did he do you think he meant he thought it was like ironically funny or like because um Evan Brown said it was cringe, uh, well, which but, I agree
0: with. And I think Cahaley was sarcastically insulting Christy for saying
4: that. Okay. Robert is a guy.
0: I mean, he says
4: things that, that like I wouldn't have thought of, you know, but
0: but, but think of this, Robert's, Robert's history is in the consulting class. Right. But he's one of those few who saw and was willing to say, Hey, something's kicking out here different than historically has. And I mean, Robert built the mousetrap to find the Trump voter. I mean, in all honesty, we can talk about that tomorrow, Josh. I don't know if I've ever ever told you that Tim Scott was in my race for lieutenant governor, and Robert built a mousetrap via poll that found the Scott voter. Same thing, finding the Trump voter. We'll we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, Enjoy your day.